You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Most school teachers try to cooperate with their principals, and our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is no exception. But with her principal, Osgood Conklin, it isn't always easy. Last Monday, for instance, he instituted his wake-up plan, a series of early morning calisthenics for the faculty. Attendance, of course, was purely voluntary. You could either show up in the morning or make up your mind to live on relatives for a while. (laughs) Mr. Conklin started the exercises to combat the restlessness that seems to come with spring. I wouldn't know about that, though, because I missed the first three sessions. That's why I slept in the other twin bed in Mrs. Davis's room on Wednesday night. She's my landlady and pretty absent-minded about most things, but she promised to wake me promptly at 7. We retired about 10 p.m., and I fell asleep almost at once. Connie... Oh, Connie, are you asleep? Are you asleep, Connie? Huh? Oh, what, what is it? What's the matter? Oh, nothing, dear, but if you're going to get up earlier than usual, you'll need all the rest you can get. <laughs> I'm glad you were sleeping so soundly, and it's only 11 o'clock. Oh, great. I'm way ahead. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll take up where I left off. All right, Connie. Oh, Connie. Connie! Huh? Uh, (laughs) Now, don't worry about anything. I mean, I slept all day yesterday, so I'll probably be wide awake in plenty of time to get you up in the morning. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Ooh, that's nice to know. Gives me a real feeling of security. Good night. I hope you get enough sleep. Osgood Conklin has a lot of nerve Asking his teachers to get to the gym a half hour earlier Why, he isn't even there for the calisthenics Makes me mad If I were you, Connie, I wouldn't go You hear me, Connie? Connie, are you awake? No, Mrs. Davis, I'm fast asleep (laughs) Good That's a lot better for you than a lot of idle conversation at this time of night. You're so right. Good night. Good night, dear. Oh, dear, there goes the phone. At least I think it's the phone. Our front door has a buzzer. Or is it a bell? No. No, that's the phone, all right. Connie. Connie, are you up? Yes, Mrs. Davis, I'm up. Oh, Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping you were asleep. (laughs) But as long as you're up, would you mind answering the phone? Not at all. It's right on my way. Hello? Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Harriet Conklin. Did I wake you, Miss Brooks? You collaborated, Harriet, but that's all right. I've been sleeping like a log since 11 o'clock. What time is it now? Two minutes after. Shame on me. I should have been up seconds ago. I'm only calling in case Walter Denton didn't, did he? No, dear, Denton didn't. (laughs) 
was he supposed to call about? About Daddy taking over the faculty calisthenics class personally tomorrow morning. Daddy's in bed now, and this is the first chance I got to check on it. I knew Walter forget. Could you speak a little louder, Harriet? No, Miss Brooks. I don't want Daddy to wake up. Just see that you get to school a half hour ahead of the usual time, because Daddy is really going Harriet, to Harriet, be... to whom are you talking at this unearthly hour? Oh, it's nobody, Daddy. Thanks. <laughs> I'm afraid he's getting out of bed, Miss Brooks. For heaven's sake, stop saying Miss Brooks. He's mad enough now to chew up the telephone. Besides, he's been barking at me like a bloodhound all week, and I don't feel like listening to any more of it. Just tell him it was the wrong number, Harriet. You understand? I understand perfectly, Miss Brooks. (laughs) Mr. Conklin. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I must have dialed the wrong number by mistake. Do you always make calls in the middle of the night, Miss Brooks? No wonder you can never drag yourself down to school on time. But, Mr. Conklin, I I suggest that you curtail the remainder of your nocturnal social calls, Miss Brooks, and hit the sack at once. (laughs) Aye, aye, sir. And Miss Brooks. Yes. Now, what in the world can that be? Connie's just falling asleep. Must be the... Must be the phone again. It's after midnight. Yes, it's the phone beyond the shadow of a doubt. You've convinced me, Mrs. Davis. Don't go away, Morpheus. (laughs) Hello? Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Walter Denton. I presume I woke you up, huh? You're a grand presumer, Walter. I didn't fall asleep until 12 o'clock. What time is it now? Two minutes after. (laughs) Well, adding those two minutes to the two I slept before Harriet called, I've accumulated a giant sleep jackpot of four minutes. (laughs) If you don't mind, I'd like to be a sport and try for eight. I just woke up too, Miss Brooks, and I remembered that Harriet wanted me to call and say that I... Gee, I'm sleepy Harriet wanted me to say That her father is setting a little trap in the morning By taking over the calisthenics himself And to be sure and get to school promptly Gee, thanks for warning me, Miss Brooks Good night That was the least I could do Connie, I'm worried about you The telephone's kept you up half the night Well, the kids were just trying to be helpful Let's see now. I'm sure Mr. Boynton knows nothing about this trap. What trap? The one Mr. Conklin has set. It's terribly late, but I wouldn't sleep a wink if I didn't warn him. I'd better give him a ring. Oh, I'm sure knocked out. Oh, here, Connie, let me dial the number for you. Thanks. Your poor eyes look like they're ready to fall out of your poor head. There you are, Connie. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Mr. Boynton? I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, but I know you'll forgive me when I tell you about the trap that's been set by that old devil Conklin. Hmm? <laughs> Hello? Is this Mr. Boynton? No. <laughs> then who is it? It's that old devil Conklin! <laughs> If you'll just control that dial-happy finger of yours for a minute, I'd like to tuck my cloven tootsies back into bed. Nighty-night, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Anything wrong, Connie? Oh, no, Mrs. Davis, you fixed me up fine. Look, I'd better forget about Mr. Boynton for tonight and try to relax for a little while anyway. That's right, dear. You've only got a few hours left to sleep. 
Here, why don't you take a couple of these aspirin tablets? There's some water right by the bed here. Thanks, Miss Davis. I think I will. Oh, now I ought to pop off in no time. <sighs> yes, I'm sure you will, dear. Oh, my, I forgot. Those tablets in that aspirin box. What's the matter, Mrs. Davis? They're not aspirin. They were the pills the vet prescribed for our cat, Minerva. <laughs> to make him sleep the time she was so nervous, remember? When the goldfish bit her paw. <laughs> I put them in an empty aspirin box. Connie. Connie! <laughs> Oh, well, sleep is sleep, I guess, even if it's only a cat nap. <laughs> Connie, Connie, get up. What? Oh, well, here we go again. Who's on the phone now? Nobody, but I'm afraid I dozed off, too. It's 10 a.m. Oh, well, I guess I'd better be thinking... 10 a.m.? Quick, Mrs. Davis, hand me my clothes. I've got to get out of here. Now, don't get panicky, dear. Oh. I'll make some coffee for you first. Give me a match, and I'll go down and turn on the gas. Never mind the match, Mrs. Davis. Just turn on the gas. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Here's wonderful news, ladies. Wonderful, wonderful news. Now there's something thrillingly new in Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather. Yes, something thrillingly new. Palmolive's famous beauty lather now brings you new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Millions of women will prefer beauty lather Palmolive over all other leading toilet soaps the minute they try it. For Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather now has a new, clean, flower-fresh fragrance for new allure. New charm. So ladies, forget all other beauty care and use palm olive soap the way doctors advised for a lovelier complexion. Just stop improper cleansing and instead wash your face with palm olive soap three times a day, massaging palm olive's wonderful beauty lather onto your skin for 60 seconds each time to get its full beautifying effect. Then rinse. That's all. All types of skin, young, older, oily, respond to it quickly. Don't wait another day to try Palmolive's Beauty Lather. You'll be thrilled by its new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Thrilled again by the fresher, brighter complexion doctors prove may soon be yours. For new loveliness all over, use big, bath-sized Palmolive in tub or shower. I rushed down to school as fast as I could with my alibi, the aspirin box containing Minerva's pills, clutched in my hot little hand. I made right for Mr. Conklin's office, figuring I might as well grab the bull by the horns. Sure enough, when I got there, the bull was pawing the rug in front of his desk. Come in! It's me, Mr. Conklin. Ah, so it is. Good afternoon, sleepyhead. Uh, I'd like to explain, Mr. Conklin. The Sandman worked overtime, eh? Well, yes, sir, but... I... What's the idea? It's all my fault, Mr. Conklin. I took one of these pills about three o'clock, and I didn't realize they were so powerful. Powerful? That's just a box of aspirin. Yes, sir, it's an aspirin box, all right, but the uh, pills... Put is... that box on my desk and sit down, Miss Brooks. Uh, but Mr. Put Con... it down! <laughs> 
Now, I realize, Miss Brooks, that I can't punish you for missing the voluntary calisthenics. But I can punish you for missing your morning classes. Yes, sir. And I've hit upon a splendid method of giving you, if I may borrow an expression from the undergraduate body, your lumps. Well, <laughs> lump away, Mr. Conklin. Your sixth period has always been a free one, hasn't it? Well, yes, sir, but I've always... I know you have, but now you won't. <laughs> As you know, Mr. Boynton is coaching the baseball team this year, and so I've decided to let him concentrate on that during his sixth period while you, Miss Brooks, will take over his biology class. Biology class? Oh, but Mr. Conklin, I don't know you enough about biology. You needn't worry about picking up the rudiments of biology, Miss Brooks. From the look I've seen in your eye when Mr. Boynton passes your great bird and bee material. <laughs> now, the next step in your punishment... There's more? Oh, yes, yes. I'm going to report your delinquency to Mr. Gleason of the Board of Education. He's due here at any moment to inspect the result of the Conklin wake-up plan. But, Mr. Conklin, it was an accident. You don't have to report me to Mr. Gleason. Ah, but I do, Miss Brooks. You see, Mr. Gleason was almost made principal of Madison before I received the appointment. If I fail to report your absence this morning and Gleason finds out about it, he'll tear me limb from limb. I'd be happy to sell tickets. I mean... <laughs> I have a good alibi for being late, Mr. Conklin. I hadn't slept all night, and those pills are so... Uh, you forget, Miss Brooks, thanks to your flair for telephoning, I was no Rip Van Winkle last night myself. <laughs> but even so, I got here promptly at 7.30 and personally directed the faculty in a healthful, stimulating series of exercises. We did back bends, push-ups... Knee squats... <laughs> no wonder you look so tired. Uh, I am not tired, Miss Brooks. And what's more, I very rarely get tired. When the board appointed me principal, they knew very well that Madison was getting a man of boundless energy and... Uh, determination. <laughs> Gentlemen, I told them in my acceptance speech, from now on, Madison is my ship, and as its captain, I'll try to steer a true course on the stormy seas of edu... edu... <laughs> Mr. Conklin... Oh, great. The captain's asleep in the deep. Oh, well, maybe if I leave him alone for a while, he'll forget about my punishment. Oh, oh, oh it's Mr. Gleason. Hello, Miss Brooks. I suppose you've come to see Mr. Conklin. That's right. I'm here to inspect the result, if any, of his so-called wake-up plan. Oh, but you can't go in now. I think Mr. Conklin sleeped out, uh, slipped out for a few minutes. That is, he left orders not to... Orders? Conklin takes orders from the board. Now, step aside. I'm going in. Well. Uh, Captain. <laughs> Captain. Man overboard, Captain. Quiet, Miss Brooks. I've been waiting for an opportunity like this for years. I'll just make a little call to Mr. Stone, president of the board, and ask him to come over. I want him to see with his own eyes old boundless energy asleep at the switch. Oh, but Mr. Gleason, that isn't a very nice thing to do. That'll be all, Miss Brooks. I'm ordering you to leave this office at once. Very well, sir, but I'll be back in a little while to fix the hole in the ceiling. Oh, there's no hole in the ceiling. No, but there will be when Mr. Conklin wakes up and sees you sitting there. <laughs> That's 
it, Mr. Boynton. I've got to take over your six-period biology class. And what I know about biology can't even be seen under a microscope. Oh, but that isn't fair treatment at all, especially for somebody like you. After all, you've done a lot for this school. It isn't the school I'm mad at. It's the principal of the thing. (laughs) He probably had some other clever penalties planned for me, too. But luckily, he dozed off in the middle of a compound sentence. Then he's actually in his office sleeping like a baby? That's right, like a big, fat, grouchy baby with a mustache. (laughs) Now, I guess those calisthenics knocked him out. Honestly, Miss Brooks, ever since he started that wake-up plan, I've been dog-tired. I guess I'm in pretty bad shape. You can't knock it to me, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. How did things work out with Daddy, Miss Brooks? Oh, just dandy, Harriet. He's building the scaffold for me now. I better run along and enjoy my last free period for a while, Mr. Boynton. Oh, please don't go. If you're going to take this class over next week, you'd better study my methods of teaching. Don't you think you might get some ideas just by watching me? I always have. (laughs) Oh, you mean about teaching biology. Well, if you're sure you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Now, uh, come to order, class. Yeah, we, uh, we have a guest today, students. Miss Brooks will join our class as sort of honorary pupil. Now then, now then, if you'll just sit down at that desk, Miss Brooks, we'll proceed with the class. Uh, first, I want someone to define the cellular structure of the Serathola Johnsoni. The Serathola who? Well, who's going to answer? I nominate our honorary pupil, Miss Brooks. I second the nomination. Well, uh, you seem to have been elected, Miss Brooks. I uh, do not choose to run, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> oh, come on, Miss Brooks. Don't hold back. Everybody knows you're the smartest teacher in the whole school. I'm not seeking a lengthy definition, Miss Brooks. Just tell us about <clears throat> the structure of the Serathola Johnsoni, which, as you know very well, is the technical term for the horned tree frog. The horned tree frog? Oh, naturally. <laughs> well, the Serathola Johnsoni is actually a horned tree frog named Johnson. And, uh, uh, it's a noun, frog, from the Anglo-Saxon frogga, frogiste, frogimente, frogaroonie. Yes, but as regards the structure, Miss Brooks. The structure, yes. Mm. Well, in the structure of a sentence, the horned tree frog may be used in the forms of either subject or object, such as... The quick brown fox jumped over the lazy horned tree frog. (laughs) Or the lazy horned tree frog jumped over the quick brown fox. Yes. In other words, Miss Brooks, you're telling us that the horned tree frog, unlike most silentia, forms a secondary deposit of bone in the deeper dermal tissues and may produce ankylosed encrustations akin to Triprion and Ternohyla. Mr. Boynton, you took the words right out of my subclavian epiglottis. You, uh, you did very well, Miss Brooks. And now, class, who will define leptodactylus pentadactylus? Mr. Boynton, I nominate our honor... Walter! Where are your manners? Didn't you see I had my hand raised first? Oh, I didn't notice your hand was raised. Well, that's fine. You may go right ahead, Miss Brooks. Thank you. See you later, Mr. What a racket. That Conklin has snored me into a splitting headache. 
Uh, just wait till Mr. Stone arrives, you old foghorn. Madison may have a new principal after all. <laughs> it's a good thing he's not outdoors. He'd have every dog in town around him. <laughs> Mr. Stone had better get here soon. My head will split wide open if I have to listen to... Well, what's this on Conklin's desk? Hmm, just what I need for my headache. A box of aspirin. <laughs> Well, that's the end of another school day, Miss Brooks. Not for me, Mr. Boynton. By now, our beloved principal must have told Mr. Gleason all about my missing this morning's classes. He's probably got a dandy lecture all ready for me. I hope he doesn't take too long about it. I'm dog-tired from those calisthenics. Oh, here's his office. Here, let me open the door for you. (laughs) Well, what do you know? Mr. Conklin has a guest in his dream house. That's Mr. Gleason, isn't it? Yes, he's inspecting the wake-up plan. (laughs) Say, look out the window, Miss Brooks. Isn't that Mr. Stone, president of the board, coming up the front steps? Let's see. Yeah, that's him, all right. Oh, we've got to do something, Mr. Boynton. I can't let even Mr. Conklin get caught in a trap like this. Quick, Mr. Boynton, you go out and try to delay Mr. Stone. I'll take charge in here. All right. Mr. Conklin... Mr. Conklin, wake up, Mr. Conklin. Wake up. Oh, oh yes, Miss Brooks, as I was saying, Madison High is my ship. As its captain. Lower your sails, matey. (laughs) Five minutes past three? (laughs) Miss Brooks, what happened to today? And what does Gleason mean by falling asleep in my office? He must have dozed off waiting for you to wake up. (laughs) He caught me sleeping on the job? Great Scott, I'll be drummed out of Madison if Mr. Stone gets wind of this. Well, it won't take a very big wind, either. He's out in the hall now. Oh, what? What'll I do? Miss Brooks, you've got to help me. You've got to think of me now, not as your principal, but as your friend. A friend who is drowning. Well... <laughs> I can only throw you a lifesaver. It's up to you to chew it well. Husband! Husband, are you in there? Oh, no. Uh, just a minute. Stone. Quick, Mr. Conklin, get into your inner office and act as if you're all busy. Right, all right, Miss Brooks. So all this excitement has given me a terrible headache. I'll take this box of aspirin with me. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, that is that. Oh, great. Well, it seems only fair that I wake up Mr. Gleason before Mr. Stone. What's going on in here? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Stone? Uh, this is Mr. Gleason, Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone, Mr. Gleason. Mr. Gleason. And I thought he was one of the board's most industrious members. This has certainly opened my eyes Now all we have to do is get Mr. Gleason's open Wake up, Gleason Wake up, do you hear? Please, just give me five minutes more, dear (laughs) Mr. Gleason What? Oh, my goodness I must have dozed off, Mr. Stone. Believe me, sir, I have no idea how it happened. When I arrived here shortly after noon, I found Mr. Conklin asleep behind his desk. Is this true, Miss Brooks? Well, the last I saw of Mr. Conklin, he was quite busy in his inner office. Things were really jumping. In fact, running and jumping. (laughs) You hear that, Gleason? You must have been dreaming. Why, Flash Conklin and I played football together, and I never knew up and Adam Osgood to be anything but on his toes. He's right in his office, sir. Here, I'll open the door for you. Happy New Year. 
see, Mr. Stone, that's just how I found him before uh, during lunch hour. Oh, Mr. Stone, he must have taken a couple of Minerva's pills. I tried to stop him, but he... What are you talking about, Miss Brooks? Who's Minerva? (laughs) Mr. Conklin, wake up, Mr. Conklin. Where's my ball of yarn? (laughs) What's the matter? Where am I? Why, hello, Mr. Stone. I'm amazed, Osgood. First, Mr. Gleason finds you sleeping in your office during lunch hour, and now this. Explain yourself. Oh, well, I, uh, that is, I, uh, I, uh, uh, Miss Brooks, explain myself. Well, Mr. Stone, there is nothing in the board's rules that governs the actions of the faculty either during lunch hour or after the school day officially ends at 3 p.m. Since it is now well past that time, your board holds no jurisdiction over Mr. Conklin whatsoever. None whatsoever. Now, Mr. Stone, there's no apology necessary. If you and Mr. Gleason will just... Not so fast, Mr. Conklin. Wasn't there something else you wanted to report to the board? Yes, Osgood. What did you want to report? Wasn't it about canceling your wake-up plan for the faculty, Mr. Conklin? Oh, yes, yes. That was it. (laughs) I find that calisthenics tend to make my teachers altogether too listless. Very bad, calling the whole thing off. Now, as I see it, we should... In- uh, Miss Brooks, what are you hanging around for? Well, I just thought I'd... Uh, this discussion say. does not concern you in the least. Run along. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Uh, goodbye. Bless you, my dear. <laughs> well, you can walk me home now, Mr. Boynton. Everything worked out fine. Mr. Boynton, you can get up from that chair now. <laughs> well, I might as well make it unanimous. Good night, all. Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster clean girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable, gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo. And be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I finally got home, and that evening I was telling Mrs. Davis about the events of the day when I received a rather distressing phone call. It concluded with my saying... Now, don't you worry, Mrs. Conklin. I'll get that information and call you right back. Mrs. Davis. Yes, sir. What's the name of the vet who prescribed those pills for Minerva? We've got to get an antidote immediately. An antidote? But why, Connie? Mr. Conklin just finished dinner, and he's under the piano licking his paws. <laughs> Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Planner, Gloria McMillan, Ed Begley, and Earl Ross. 
Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Plum Olive Shaving Cream comes both ways, and whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Palm Olive Brushless or Palm Olive Lather Shaving Cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new Palm Olive way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they had shaved before, three out of four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palm Olive Brushless or Palm Olive Lather Shaving Cream today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Are you a young man who wants free training for a good job that pays well? Then you'll be wise to inquire about enlisting in the United States Armed Forces. Today, America is building the largest, best-trained, best-educated peacetime army in its history. And to make sure it's the best, thousands of young servicemen are being carefully trained to be skilled experts in many fields. This could be your chance of a lifetime. Inquire at your nearest recruiting station. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. For a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and Nira's assignment by Grace S. Gross. The King of the Cowboys, Roy Rogers. Brought to you by Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. The ready-to-serve breakfast cereals shot from guns. Quaker Puffed Wheat and Rice. Shot from guns. Nice and snappy Quaker Puffed Wheat and Rice. Makes your family breakfast happy. Transcribed from out of the West and into your home. Riding the range of mystery and adventure. Blazing the trail of Western story and song. Boy Willing and the writers of the Purple Sage. That teller of tall tales, Gabby Hayes. The Queen of the West, Dale Evans. And in person, the King of the Cowboys himself, Roy Rogers. Well, howdy, folks. This is Roy Rogers. Well, Buckaroos, we had a mighty busy week. We've been trying to do things for that young boy who came to stay with us at the Double R Bar Ranch. But we also tangled with some really bad cattle rustlers. Gabby, I wish you'd tell our friends about those rustlers. Yes, what I was going to do, Roy. Say, Buckaroos, you know that young feller come to stay with us, Jack Williams... Only we call him Dusty now, because he'd rather take a whip him than wash his face. Well, Dusty ain't near as ornery as he was. I'd been sort of gentle in him, you know, with a little help from Roy, of course. Well, we call this story The Mystery of the Disappearing Trail. T'other night over by Johnny Sparrow's Double O Ranch, exciting things was in the wind. <laughs> 
Keep her moving, Carl. Keep those cattle moving. What do you think we're doing? Well, they have to be through the pass loaded on trucks before sunup. If Mr. Sparrow finds out his cattle have been rustled and I'm not back to work by the regular time tomorrow morning, he'll be suspicious I had something to do with it. I thought you said Sparrow wouldn't know about this rustling. Not for two or three days. He won't. But you said his busted arm would keep him around the double O ranch house. It will. We can't take unnecessary chances, though. We've got to get the cattle through the pass before sunup. Then the other boys can take him the rest of the way. Hey, Arch! Wait a minute. Here he Here I am. Arch! On the other bridge. Somebody's watching us. Where? Right there. I can see him, too. I had to look up a couple of minutes ago. He was just sitting on his horse watching, same as he is now. Hey, it's old Leon Mills. Sparrow's sidekick. And if I know Leon, he'll head straight for the ranch house. He'll tell Sparrow what's happening. No, he won't. Keep his cattle moving. I'll take care of Leon Mills before he can head anywhere. Rustlers are taking your cattle. Who's there? Watch me, John. Leon Mills. Rustlers are driving off your herd. They ain't fooling. They tried to kill me. My horse outran them. I can't lose those cattle, Leon. I'll go broke. I tell you what I'd do if I was you, John. I'd get Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers? Yeah. He's the only man in the country who's a match for any outlaws that ever lived. You stay here. I'll get him before the rustlers have too much of a start. Roy Rogers will be here in no time. He'll fix them. Quick on. We're all right, Carl. If anybody on the ranch had heard about the cattle, there'd be some excitement. There's a light in the ranch house, though. And Leon Mills got away when you were chasing that him. That light's probably only Sparrow with his arm hurting, and that's good. It means Sparrow hadn't slept much tonight. He'll sleep late in the morning. The boys can take it easy when they start moving the cattle by truck. Hurt. Somebody's riding up. It's Leon Mills. And Roy Rogers is with him. Rogers and Dale Evans and Gabby Hayes. We'll have to stop him, Art. If Rogers gets on our trail... Yeah, we whacked out, Drake. Rogers won't be able to follow the cattle. You can't tell about Rogers. Wait a minute. I know how to stop him without getting into trouble. Duck back here. Mm. Wait till they go in the house. Then we'll fix Rogers. We'll set Mr. Sparrow's mind at easily on. Then we'll get after those rustlers. They can't have more than three or four hours start. Shucks, Leon. You didn't need to bother Roy on a simple thing like catching rustlers. You could have come to me, private-like. I'm that champion rustler catcher of all times, you know. What's the matter there? Is the champion rustler catcher of all times tripping over his spurs? Pigeons and hot toes. Who wouldn't trip? Brandon and I are laying right on the ground. Better take it into Mr. Sparrow. Yeah, I get a broken leg. And look at the thing. It's made wrong. Blacksmith put a bar connecting the two O's. And Sparrow's ranch is just a double. Well, sure enough. Happy, we've got some rustlers to catch. Remember? They won't sit and wait for us while we argue about an old Brandon iron. Your Brandon iron car. Yeah. Must have dropped off my saddle. Come on. Let's take care of Rogers. The way I figure, he thinks more of Trigger than anything else in the world. Now, you're not going to mess with Trigger, car. That horse will pull your head off. He won't let anybody get near him unless Roger says so. We won't go near him. We're getting on our own horses, and then tossing a the rope around Trigger's neck and dragging him out of here. Here, poor boy. 
And then? Then Rogers gets excited. He spends the next few hours looking for Trigger. And the boys have time to drive the double old cattle out of the territory. Come on. Maybe I'd better throw my rope over Trigger's head, too. Mine will be enough. This is good. You right behind. Cut Trigger if he walks. Hold it now. There, I got him. Let's ride. Get him. Get him. I'm trying to Pappy. Have a rope ready. Yeah, and a six-shooter, too. Hey, pal. We'll give those bombs a taste of their own medicine. All right, Trigger. Let's take them. Rope the man on that pillow, Pappy. I'll take this one. You be ready in case either of us submit. What's that, boy? So I wish Dusty were here to see me in action. I got him, Pappy. Hold the rope tight, Trigger Boy. Look at that fellow down. All right, let's take care of him. You pin-headed porcupine. Art Larson. Say, Pappy, look who we've got here. Art Larson, Mr. Sparrow's foreman. Yeah, and I met up with this gent. He's another Sparrow double O rider. Name is Carson Varner. Well, Rogers, uh, this is all a joke. We were just playing a trick on you. Horse stealing is never a joke, Art. What do we do with them, Roy? Want me to take them into the sheriff, Roy? No, I think they've had their lesson. And we've got important things to do, Dale. You ain't letting them go. We will for now, but we may be back for them. Can't we mush our hair up a little more? Come on, we're hitting the trail. Leon said the rustlers had the cattle headed toward the pass. the trail. The last tracks I noticed were back between those big boulders. They were heading this way, straight toward the river. Let's go back and pick up those cattle tracks again. Cattails and thunder showers. If one thing don't delay us, another does. Dusty sure gonna be upset me running off this way and not coming back. Right over here is where we saw them. Easy, fella. If they turned off, I don't know why we didn't see it. I'll find out. Now, it would be logical for rustlers to drive cattle in the river and downstream, so we would lose the trail. What's it look like, Roy? The tracks end right here. They end? they got to lead somewhere. Yeah, well, I better get my X-ray eyes working. Whereabouts, Roy? Right here. The tracks come this far, and then they quit. It's almost as though a line was drawn. Hey, that's real odd. Now, if it was a bird we was trailing, I'd say they walked this far and then flapped their wings and flew. These are cattle, Pappy, not birds. Sure, sure, and I ain't seen any flying cattle in years. Say, doesn't that sound like a truck? The rustlers, they're hauling the cattle in trucks, Roy. There ain't no tire tracks here where the cattle disappeared. There it is. There's the truck. And look who's driving. Dusty, our Dusty. It is Dusty, Roy, and that truck belongs to Mr. Sparrow. Oh, Dusty can't be helping the rustlers. Well, well, there aren't any cattle in the truck anyway. Well, hold on here. Let's not jump at conclusions. It's only because Dusty don't know no better, Roy. He was living without outlaw before we got him and... Well, hold it now. Nobody, not anybody at all, is even going to suggest our Dusty is in with the rustling gang until he has a chance to explain for himself. Come on. 
Let's give him a chance. I tell you, buckaroos, my heart was in my mouth when I seen Dusty in that truck. Dale felt the same way I did. But when Roy's your friend, he's your friend. Won't believe nothing bad about you till there's real proof. No, sir. Well, we was facing more excitement than we knowed about. And I'll tell you all about it just as soon as we hold our conference on a breakfast you can put on the table real quick. Quaker puff wheat and rice. Shot from guns. Nice and snappy Quaker puff wheat and rice. Makes your family breakfast happy. What's happening? Look at the strange-looking fellow that's just dropped in. He must be nine feet tall. I am nine feet two inches tall. Well, uh, who are you? I am the man from Mars. Gosh, what you doing here? Oh, just thought I'd look around. Say, what's that you've got? Oh, these are packages of the swellest ready-to-serve breakfast cereals you ever tasted. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice, to be specific. Never heard of them on Mars. That's too bad. You see, folks are wild about Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice down here. Oh. They're so easy to serve, so refreshing. Make breakfast a real treat on a hot summer's day. Mmm, sounds good. You bet. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are shot from guns. Actually exploded up to eight times normal size. That makes them light. Crisp and tender. They're shot through and through with swell nut-like flavor, too. Sounds good. Real good. Wheat or rice, shot from guns, is good for you as well. Furnishes extra food values of restored natural grain amounts of vitamin B1, niacin, and iron. That's for me. Well, must be going now. Where to? Back to Mars. Thanks for the breakfast tip. Mind my taking along those two packages... Can't wait to try them. Well, sir, folks, don't you wait to try ready-to-serve, refreshing Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. And remember, to get the original crisp, fresh wheat or rice shot from guns, always look for the big Quaker red and blue package. It's never sold in bags or bulk. Rustlers was giving us a bad time. Want enough that the double O foreman and writer tried to steal trigger, or that I stumbled over a branding iron and almost broke a leg, but the rustlers' trail disappeared. Tracks just ended, and that's all there was to it. Then we seen a truck, and our boy Dusty was driving. We begin to think maybe Dusty was in with the rustlers. Come on, Trigger. We've got to catch that truck before it reaches the road. Let me call to Dusty, son. He can't hear you over the truck noise, Gabby. Use those X-ray eyes of yours, Pappy. There's two men in the back of that truck. Hey, I didn't see them laying behind them big rolls of canvas. Dale, ride around to the front and signal Dusty to stop. Gabby and I will accommodate those two armors. We'll go to the rear of the truck and find out why they've got their guns drawn. I 
need is a little of your friend's ink, Buck. You'll need plenty of help before you're finished, Buck. Come on. I can't handle Rogers alone. You can't handle anybody. Here, Pappy. Let me give you a help. Stand back, boy. Stand back. Here's the pile driver that'll show her. Good work, Pappy. Oh, shucks. I've been dangling him since the first time I connected. You get around there fast, Dusty. You've got a lot to explain. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Are you all right, Roy? Fine. Dusty, when Leon came for us, you were still in bed. You went out, and I thought maybe you'd run into some excitement, and I got a horse and followed. He just wanted to help us, didn't you? Let him think up his own excuses, Gabby. What were you doing in this truck, Dusty? Well, I was close to you when you were looking for cattle tracks. I was afraid you'd see me, so I hopped in the truck. Just decided to take a ride. Ain't that all, Dusty? He'll do his own explaining, Gabby. No, sir. A fellow I knew from a ranch back home, he owned the Spectacle Brand Ranch, came up and offered me a dollar if I'd drive the truck to the double O. The Spectacle Brand Ranch, eh? I never heard of it. Did you, Roy? Yeah. It's up north quite a ways. The Spectacle Brand looks like eyeglasses. Something like it anyway. Two O's with a bar connecting them at the top. Hey, Roy, that Brandon iron I tripped over... Up by Mr. Sparrow's house, it was, uh... Brandon Iron and the canvas wagon covers and the truck sort of tell where to look for Mr. Sparrow's cattle. Now, wait, nobody's... Don't try to get up, you vomit, unless you want me to pin you to the ground. Dusty, get your horse and ride for home. All right, Roy. Pappy, let's tie these two armbers and leave them here for a while. I'll leave them till they starve. And, Dale, while we're doing that, will you see if you can get our horses in the truck? Sure, Roy. We three are heading for the Spectacle Ranch, with you driving so Gabby and I will be free to shoot in case we meet cattle rustlers on the way. Roy, look at those trucks up ahead. Yeah. Three trucks loaded with cattle. But look, coming at us from this side. Four, four riders. Yeah, and they're shooting. Two of them are the ones we caught stealing trigger. Mr. Sparrow's foreman, Art Larson, and that rider they call Carr. What will I do, Roy? Keep going? Don't even slow down. Happy, you and I better climb out and get in back of the truck. Yeah, make an awful good target up there. Yeah, but Dale won't be so apt to get hurt. Oh, don't worry about me, Roy. We have to worry about you, Dale. If you get winged, there'll be a smash-up. Gabby, I'll climb up first and give you a hand. If I'm not busy shooting... for a few minutes. Here, Pappy. Let me give you a hand. I took care of one fella, but I can't figure what's holding this man up. There. You don't have to wonder anymore, Pappy. Hey, we sure took him, didn't we? Roy, I stopped the truck. I didn't want to follow the stolen cattle alone. Hey, these men. Are two of them the men we left tied up? They sure are. And the other two are Art Larson and Barner, who probably untied him. Leon Mills. Roy, Leon's coming. Dusty's with him. But I told Dusty to ride for home. We heard shooting out this way. We figured maybe you was in trouble. I know you told me to go home, Roy, but Leon asked me to come with him. I'll talk to you later, Dusty. Well, he's telling the truth. I did ask him to come along. Hey, what's he doing here? That feller? 
Well, right now, he's sort of catching his breath. Why, that's the man I was telling you about. Art Larson, the owner of the Spectacle Brand Ranch. The what? owner of the Spectacle Brand? Shucks, no. That feller's Mr. Sparrow's foreman. How about it, Art? Well, uh, the game's up, I guess. The kid's right. You're, you're both, then. The owner of the Spectacle Brand and Mr. Sparrow's foreman. And rustling Mr. Sparrow's cattle. You took the double O cattle and changed the double O to Spectacle Brand, huh? Say, Mr. Sparrow's double O was mighty easy to change over, wasn't it? Just put a bar across the top of the two O's and you got the Spectacle Brand. Well, Roy, what are you going to do with me? You and your pals are heading back with Leon to the sheriff's office. While we go on ahead and round up the rest of the gang, those who have the cattle. Uh, Roy, uh... If I went with you, I might get the others to give up peaceable. Uh, would that help me any? It might. Why don't you come along, Art? We'll be ready to leave as soon as Leon starts back with your friends here. Oh, oh what are you pulling up for, Art? Well, I head there. That's where we have our headquarters. All right. Now, uh, we better go single file, Roy. Me first, uh, you second. Who, who? Who took a fella? What's the matter? Everything's all right, isn't it? Sure, Art. Everything's fine. But you and I are going to change hats, shirts, and horses. We're, we... Oh, but, but that'll take a lot of time. I don't care how much time it takes. They'll get away, Roy. Will you change outfits with me, Art? Or won't you? Come on. I want an answer. No. You were leading us into an ambush. Your men are there ready to shoot me down as soon as they recognize me or Trigger. Well, no, no. You're lying. All right. We're going in anyhow. But we'll keep you in the hot spot. And if anybody gets shot, it'll be you. Yes, sirree. Little wonder many a top-action Hollywood star goes for this breakfast. It's swell-tasting, cool, refreshing Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice with milk or cream and fruit. Ready to serve, easy to fix, these giant premium grains of wheat or rice pack a man-sized taste wallet. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are shot from guns. Yes, actually exploded up to eight times normal size to make them crisp and tender as nuts in November. Wheat or rice, shot from guns, are nourishing. They'll make an economical deluxe breakfast hit in your home these summer mornings. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are never sold in bags or bulk. Always look for the big red and blue Quaker package. Get the premium quality grains of wheat or rice. Yes, get the original crisp, fresh, shot from gun cereal. That's Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Buy both delicious kinds tomorrow. Quaker puffed wheat and rice makes your family breakfast happy. Don't do that to me. I, I, I'll call him out. Put a gun on him, Pappy. Sure thing, son. And use it if he tries any tricks. Nail, you take Dusty back out of the way. Come on, Dusty. Call to him, Mark. We're waiting. Frank. Frank, it's me. The game's up. 
Rogers has a gun on me. Come on out with your hands in the air. And come out right now. Okay, we give up. We're coming out. It's working, Roy. Here they come. These four and the three Leon's taken into town. Is that the whole gang, Art? That's all of them. All right, stop where you are. Want me to take your guns, Roy? Yeah. Dale, will you come here and keep Art covered while I watch the others? Stay there, Dusty. Are the cattle here, Roy? Art can tell us where they are. You had a neat rustling stunt, Art. Spreading those wagon covers on the ground for the cattle to walk over. That made their trail disappear fine. What'd you do? Walk them into the river on canvas? Yeah. Then upstream a ways and out of the river on canvas, too? So nobody'd find their trail on the other side, either? Not unless you look quite a ways from the water's edge. Too bad we saw that canvas in the truck you were sending back to the ranch. That sort of tipped your hand, Art. All right, Roy. I draw their teeth. They ain't got any guns now. Happy, I think we'll tie their horses together before we take them into town. That'd be a good idea. Roy, can I ride into town with you? Yeah, Dusty. I wish you would. You and I ought to have a little talk. I'll rope the horses together now, son. What about, Roy? Well, it's like this. I'm not saying you didn't help us today because you did. We asked you twice to stay home, though. Instead, you came right ahead and risked getting hurt. Oh, I wasn't afraid. No, I don't suppose you were, but before a fella takes chances, he ought to do some thinking about what will happen if he gets hurt. You see, son, there's folks who like you. And if you're hurt, well, they suffer almost as much as you do yourself. And I don't, I don't think you want to do that, do you? Well... No. The rest of my writers think about such things, Dusty. They don't take chances. And it isn't just because they're not afraid. But they know taking a chance is asking for trouble for everybody. Do you understand, Dusty? Hey, Butteroos. Roy is sure learning Dusty what he needs to know. But, uh, do you want to know who learned Roy to be such a good learner for Dusty? Me. Why, I say, I spent more time learning Roy to learn than, uh, uh, but, oh, shucks. Everybody's gathered around ready to sing. Roy, Dale, Foy, Willing, and the writers of Purple Sage. We better listen to them while they got a chance. I can talk to you most any time. Here's the song. If I said a rose to you For every time you made me blue You'd have a room full of roses If I said a rose of white For every time I cried all night You'd have a room full of roses Took the petals and you tore them all apart. You'd be tearing at the roses just the way you tore my heart. If someday you're feeling blue and you could send some roses too, well, I don't want a room full of roses. Just 
if you took the petals and you tore them all apart, you'd be tearing at the roses just the way you tore my heart. If someday you're feeling blue and you could send some roses to where I don't want a That's all for now, folks. This is Roy Rogers saying to all of you, from all of us, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. See you next week. Don't forget, smiles are made out of the sunshine and the frown from a rainy day. The Quaker Oats Company presents the Roy Rogers Show, transcribed each week at this same hour with the writers of the Purple Sage, Gabby Hayes, Dale Evans, and the king of the cowboys himself, Republic Pictures' great star in person, Roy Rogers. Buckaroos, take a tip about hot breakfasts if you want to be a star someday in sports and activities. A hot cereal that helps grow the stars of the future is Quaker Oats. Yes, there's more growth more endurance in oatmeal than any other whole grain cereal. So to be a star, make your hot cereal nourishing, bodybuilding Quaker Oats, the giant of the cereals. Remember, Quaker and Mother's Oats are the same. Republic's latest Roy Rogers picture is Susanna Pass. And Gabby Hayes may now be seen in the Paramount release, El Paso. This is Art Ballinger speaking for the Quaker Oats Company. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Tonight's story is entitled Assignment in Moscow by Alan Campling. Ladies, now you can dress in high fashion at unbelievably low cost. 
Thousands of South African women acclaim Janome sewing machines, which not only simplify dressmaking, but give your work a real professional touch. Janome is a quality-built sewing machine which tacks, hems, smocks, darns, and does all kinds of fancy or plain stitching perfectly. What's more, Janome comes in a full range of models, and every machine carries a lifetime guarantee. You can do so much more with a Janome. Every General R280 radial has 364 little safety studs between its treads. The studs are there to brace and stabilize the treads and help stop them fidget under stress. And the fact that we've reduced the fidget in our treads explains why the General R280 breaks so well, corners so well, and has the longest possible life. General R280 radials. The long-living tires. This is a story based on fact, but you will probably not believe it, because 100 years earlier the same things happened in a work of fiction. But what is truth and what is fiction? What is there to prevent a made-up story coming true? If you will look into the histories of the Second World War, you will find my name, Vasily Antonovich Skriavi, and you will find that the Nazi general who gave me the code name Igor believed I went to my death in my own country. You will shortly be taking off, Igor. I will check your belongings myself. It is a great honor, Herr General, to meet you. If I see you again, I hope to have the honor to decorate you. I understand, sir. Which of my belongings do you wish to see? Everything. The future of the Third Reich could depend on your having Soviet-made laces in your shoes when the checker examines you an hour from now. These are my passports, General. May I say something? Carry on, Igor. As the commander of Germany's Eastern Intelligence Group, you must know that my country's secret police is now called the NKVD and not the Czech. I assume that you made an intentional slip to ensure that I also knew this and was alert. Mm -hmm. Good thinking. Well, the passports all appear to be in order. The forgers have done their usual excellent job. Uh, let me have your watch, a fountain pen, cigarettes and lighter or matches. And tell me who you are. Thank you. Of course, I do not want you to tell me you are the nephew of the Soviet Prime Minister. I want you to forget that until the time is ripe. What is your cover story? I have three, Herr General. First, I am to be Major Pasyuchkin of the General Staff of Marshal Alexander Vasilevsky. Then I Achtung. am... Achtung! Who is Marshal Vasilevsky? Herr General, he is Chief of Staff to the Swine. Oh, do not become emotional. I speak of Joseph Stalin and I think of him always as the Swine. It is because you hate that man that you are serving the Third Reich in this way. He had my father and mother murdered, Herr General. Of course, of course. To this you owe your own life. My life, sir. Certainly. When you were captured with your 38th Red Guard Regiment in 1941, the Gestapo would have executed you if I had not got you on my list of well-connected Russian officers. It is fortunate for you that Molotov is your uncle and that Joseph Stalin has made Herr Molotov his prime minister. I am related to the lickspittle of a swine. Control yourself. It is to that fortunate occurrence that you owe my decision to parachute you into the Soviet motherland tonight. It is Herr Stalin that you must thank that you are now a soldier of the German fatherland instead of a corpse rotting in the same grave as the rest of your regiment. Is that clear? Quite clear, Herr General. 
The swine destroyed my father, so you give me Germany in his place. He destroyed my mother, so you choose me and train me and order me to spy upon my motherland. It is a twisted fate, Herr General. I cannot be held responsible if I assassinate Stalin without orders. I have no wish to reduce the hatred that is your mainspring of action. But I can assure you that you will not kill Stalin, even if you get the chance. You will turn aside from your personal obsession and continue the mission that I have given you. Because I, Major General Reinhard Gellin, have so arranged your life. civil population must live in poverty, as always. Hi! Hey, hey, comrade, over here! Can you give me a lift to Moscow? I, I've just Come got... along, Major. It's always a pleasure to help a brave soldier. Oh, many thanks, comrade. It is kind of you. Put your uh, cases behind the seats. You have a great many of them. Uh, they are heavy. I have had to walk from the military hospital. From the hospital? You are a doctor, comrade Major. Uh, not a doctor. I, I was wounded. Now I am convalescent. Oh, many have been wounded, but the war goes well. You are going all the way to Moscow. Uh, all the way. If you could drop me off at the station. Krasnodar station. It's only a little out of my way. Uh, no, comrade. Skilsky station. I see. Skilsky station, yes. Uh, well, it is somewhere yet. Perhaps you would like to take a nap. You are convalescent. Uh, you are most thoughtful. Beautiful, too. You are safe with me. I will take you where you should go. Believe me, comrade Major. of my truck, Comrade Colonel. Your men will be able to capture him without difficulty. You were right to bring him here, Martha. If you had your fuse to may lift, he would be freely roaming the area and we might never have picked him up. How did you know he was not telling the truth? Twice a week I deliver vegetables to the military hospital. Two days ago, there was an order that only hospital staff were to use the tarred road. Patients and tradesmen must use the side entrance which has a large patch of wet clay just outside. Wet clay? I, I don't understand. There was no clay on his shoes. He could not have come that way. Also, he agreed with me that I should take him to Skilski railway station. Now I understand. It was taken out of commission last week by my own orders. And all military installations, including the hospital, were so notified. Oh, yes. It is evident that he is a Nazi spy. Have deserved well of the state, Comrade Marfa. We come in. Now we shall see how long it takes to get the truth from him. All right, Sergeant, you can go. Hey, come in, Major. Take this seat. What's going on here? Why have sit I been... Sit down, then the Colonel tells you. Not that chair. This one. That's right. You see, this one I can reach with my boot when I want to... Ah! What the devil do you think you're doing? Ah! Have you gone mad? I see that you're a to... Enough play acting. Your knees are both dislocated now. When you tell me who you are, I shall summon the surgeon to put them back in place. It will be painful for you, my friend, but less painful than the shoulder I shall dislocate if you refuse to cooperate. Cooperate, Colonel. May I have your permission to leave? To wait outside? I'm feeling squeamish, Martha? This is not a human being deserving your sympathy. You have just ended your career, you fool. When my uncle hears of this... Your uncle? You threaten me. 
is your uncle Adolf Hitler, perhaps? Here, you give him this with my compliments. Stop it, Colonel. He's fainted. Is this how you interrogate your prisoner? Do not interfere. Scum like this can understand nothing but force. Now, oh, where is his wallet? We will soon see who he pretends to be, and then we are halfway to learning who he really is. Yeah. Let me see now. It is possible that I was mistaken, that he is telling the truth. It is not possible. <laughs> well, well, these letters are supposed to make us think he's related to the prime minister himself. The comrade Vyacheslav Molotov, no less. The cheek of these people. It seems such a foolish lie. Molotov was born right here in this village. The papers related to his family must still be right here in the town hall files. You can expose this story in a moment, Comrade Colonel. Then, when he revives, you can confront him with the evidence, and there will there will be no need for for any more torture. Wake up, sir. Are you mad, girl? Strike a gentleman of this importance? You must bring him round. Don't, don't hit me again, my, my uncle. Get your hands off me. Uh, comrade Major, I, I brought you some vodka. It will make you feel better. It is the very best vodka vodka if you would prefer brandy. Don't Just cross so it down his lips. You choke him. Here, let me. Who? What, what is it? Comrade Major, there has been a misunderstanding. I, I know you. You're the beautiful girl from the truck. Oh, such a beautiful girl, Comrade Major. You're quite right. Are you the insane thug that hurt me? Me? Oh, you mean you don't know? I, I remember coming in here, but it's all a blank after that. It is the shock. But do not worry, Comrade Major. The vodka will pull you round and your memory will return. Uh, vodka is bad for the liver. Give it to me. Are you trying to poison our dear friend, you foolish girl? I'm feeling a lot better now. Thank you. You remember who you are? Uh, who I am? Uh, of course I do. I'm... I, I... No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Let's see. I, I'm Major Igor... No, it's in my identity card. General Staff Officer to Marshal Vasilevsky. But what am I doing here? You were convalescent. You were wounded the front. You just left hospital. Uh, wounded in the knees, Major, both of them. Uh, while you were unconscious, I, I took the liberty of having my surgeon treat them and bandage them. If they are not perfectly comfortable, I shall have him shot. It's, it's coming back to me. Aren't you Colonel Kozlov? Uh, you know my name, sir? I was supposed to inspect this railway region you come out, wasn't I? Well, I, I have had no orders about that, but uh, please, Major, if you want to inspect my headquarters, my men, the records, Look, anything... if you're feeling better, Comrade Major, I must be on my way. No, don't go. I still have to get to Moscow, and I don't feel up to taking a train. Martha, your truck is under arrest until the Major here orders it to be released. Uh, now, sir... Uh, may I make a suggestion? Uh, instead of using valuable time inspecting my headquarters, all the information is contained in these files. Only a couple of cabinets. Uh, why do I not have them loaded on the back of Marfa's truck? And, and I don't want to make trouble for you, Colonel. Oh, I'm delighted to hear you say so, sir. Ah, that is settled then. I will get my men onto it straight away. Excuse me. Uh, please be comfortable while I am gone. I have some more vodka. It will, will help your memory to... 
second thought, I'll take it with me, shall I? In case it upsets your distinguished stone. I've never seen a bully turn so quickly into a coward. He's frightened of you. And you're not. I did my duty. You know I reported you as a spy, of course. Oh, certainly. My memory is perfectly intact. I wish the colonel to believe it wasn't, but... You are on a secret mission for our government. You are inspecting military installations. I understand. It, it is my duty to give you every assistance. My identity is to remain a secret. Those are my orders. You know who I am. And that presents a problem. The colonel knows too. And that's another problem. In order to close his mouth, it might be necessary to kill him. No, don't get excited. I am not going to kill you as well, unless it becomes absolutely necessary. How would you like to feel years younger? If you're middle-aged and troubled by forgetfulness, restless sleep, lack of vigor and odd aches and pains, try Salusa 45. Salusa 45's remarkable formula actually helps you feel and look years younger. Salusa 45 helps give you new physical and mental energy. It can even help combat the symptoms of aging too quickly. Enjoy life. Feel years younger. Try Salusa 45. Kids, how will you know when you're really grown up? Sandra? I think I'd know when I'm grown up when I put on makeup. <laughs> Peter? How will you know? And I've got a motor car. Mm-hmm. And a business. <laughs> and how will you know when you're really grown up, Celia? I can open an account at the stand. Why the Standard Bank? Because I just have to sign my name and I can go in and pay my bill. <laughs> Who told you that? My mother. <laughs> After the filing cabinets were loaded onto Martha's truck, I would have had to leave a signature for them with Colonel Kozlov. And sooner or later, some senior officer would have checked on my credentials. The only way to avoid leaving that clue behind me was to avoid leaving him. So I ordered him into the back among the cabbages and fowls and took him along too. He was most useful. I don't know what I would have done without him. Most. Operator. Operator! What happened to my call to advanced headquarters? What? Of course this is a priority call. On business for the Supreme Presidium. Do you want to spend the rest of the war in Siberia? Put me through immediately. Having difficulty, Colonel? Oh, no, not at all. No, sir, no difficulty. A uh, colonel in the communication corps does not have difficulty with the... Hello? Hello, is that advanced headquarters? About time. Now listen, I have a priority message for fighter base 203. Got that? 203. Very urgent. I shall be happy to commend you for your cooperation and efficiency, Comrade Colonel. But only if you get that call through, of course. Oh, Comrade Major, they, they, they keep telling me that this fighter base is stealing German-occupied territory. They claim our glorious Red Army has not yet taken it back in its relentless drive forward to rid the motherland of... Tell it. them I want to speak to the airbase anyway. Don't explain. Just tell them. Of course. Certainly, sir. What? What's that? Of course I accept full responsibility. I should think so, too. Uh, here, sir. 
They're finally putting me through. It's taken long enough. All right, you needn't stay. This is secret. Okay, very good, Comrade Major. Hello. This is Igor. Get me Garden. Garden speaking. Your call is late. Where is your report? They are general. I have taken possession of official records for railway traffic throughout the Moscow and southern sector. Don't call me general over a Russian telephone line. It is perfectly secure, general. The operators understand that we are speaking in code. You follow what I am saying, sir. The telephone operators have been told this conversation is in code. It is top secret. They are not to listen in, and they will be shot if they interfere. I understand. You have secured the, uh, the willing cooperation of a senior Soviet communications officer. Is that it? Willing or unwilling, sir, he is cooperating. But he doesn't have the authority to send whole filing cabinets into the Third Reich. How do I get the information to you? I have to have it. Russian counterattacks are becoming irresistible. Luftwaffe mm. cannot spare planes to bomb their lines of communication unless we know exactly where the munitions and troop trains will be. Well, that's all in the files here, General. But there's far too much information for me to read over this line to you. You've been trained in microphotography. Yeah. Photograph the material. Reduce the negatives and place them in the smallest possible parcel. You shall receive an invitation to a performance of Swan Lake Ballet at the Bolshoi Theater. Mm. In your greatcoat when you hand it in at the field room. Leave the theater, the parcel, and go. I understand, here, General. Any further orders? You have done well. With the reward, I shall do my best to fly you out from a certain meadow one night soon after I have the microphotographs in my hands. Yeah. And one other thing, Igor. Yes, General. At the ballet will be Joseph Stalin. Oh, that's why. Listen to me. Come in. I've got pictures developing. What is it? I'm not telling you. You'll have to see it. Oh, it's, it's so wonderful. Uh, only a couple of seconds. Nearly ready. Are you going to spend the rest of your life in that dark room? Ah, well, there's a timer now. I'm just coming. And now, what's so exciting? See, darling, tickets for the ballet and the Grand State Gala performance. Oh, I wonder if Yulanova will be dancing. Martha, you can't go. What? What did you say? I'm sorry, but I'm going alone. Don't ask me to explain. Igor, what's worrying you? Worrying me? I don't know what you mean. I'm not a fool. And I love you too much to be blind to your moods. Uh, You've got more and more. Oh, I don't know. Well, ever since you got poor Colonel Kozlov to rent this villa and started locking yourself in that dark room all day and half the night. I have work to do. You know that. The wars, such things are more important than music and dancing. You must stay here. I don't understand. It is you that has important work here. So why is it I that must stay while you go to the Bolshoi Theater? Igor, can't you tell me? That's it. I can't tell you. Reasons of state. A matter of national security. You mustn't ask me. Oh, darling, of course. Forgive me. It, it was foolish. Oh, I'm not foolish. Ah, there is too little gaiety and music in our lives now. I wish... I wish we had met in peacetime. 
when I could have brought you flowers or chocolates or pretty things. I wish I could court you as you deserve. It's nothing. I have your love, and this is all that matters. Martha. Major. Oh, Major, where are you? Colonel Costa, were you expecting him now? Go into the dark room. I told him specifically not to come here while I was working. He has never disobeyed me before. Oh, go. Be careful. He is always armed. I'll be all right. Stay in the dark room until he has gone. I don't want you in the way if he's in here to make trouble. Now, go on now. There's a good girl. Major, are you in your dark room? I'm here, Colonel. What is it? What do you want? Ah, there you are. Major, please answer me one question. You are interrogating me? You have forgotten what happened the last time. Just one question. Why is it that the Prime Minister's office believes you are a prisoner of the Nazis? I will not tolerate interference with my work. What is your authority for questioning me in this way? I see. You evade my question. Now that you see my revolver and the safety catch is off, you also see my authority. You will be severely punished if you do not put that gun away. Well, not if I am right. Right? About what? I have been to much expense to rent this villa for you, to purchase all that photographic equipment. As a military officer, I'm entitled to submit a claim for legitimate expenses to the authorities. Certainly. Go on. Yes. But the military authorities know only that you were taken prisoner by the Germans on August the 17th, 1941. They have no record of you being released or having escaped. So they did not know you were in Russia. You told them you betrayed a state secret. Then it's a firing squad for you. I did not tell them. I only asked information. I gave none. I was referred to the civil authorities and eventually to the office of the prime minister. They also know nothing of you since the Nazis took you. High matters of state are not disclosed to junior public servants. Naturally. But the head of protocol is not a junior public servant. He is my mother's brother. And what am I to think when my uncle says that your uncle believes you are dead? There is a mistake here. A mistake you will pay for with your life, you fascist spy. You wouldn't dare kill me. I might be what I say I am after all. Killing you would do me no harm. Letting you live would make me look a fool and a knave if you are not what you made believe. Nobody knows who you are. If I kill you and destroy your body, then kill and destroy your mistress. Leave her out of this. She's done nothing wrong. That sounds like an admission that you have done something wrong. Well, comrade Major, who treats me with such contempt, I would like to see what this famous photographic work is that you've been doing for the motherland. You can't go in the dark room. You are no longer giving me orders, comrade spy. I'm going in there. No, I... I... I surrender. Take me to the secret police. You're right. I am a spy. Let us go now. Not so fast. You told me you were printing photographs of enemy installations secretly delivered to you by our own secret service. Yeah. If I find you have been recording the communications information which you tricked me into giving you, we shall not go anywhere near the police. Stand still! My revolver is pointing straight at you, and I'm an expert marksman. I'm going into that dark minute. Oh! Martha, what oh, are you... Oh, Come oh, on, Igor, oh, run for him! He's dying with he's a terrible... Of acid in the face. Don't look. We must get away. You must go. I still have to go to the belly tonight. Not now. Whatever you have to do, there you will be one. No. 
he didn't dare say what he suspected in case he was wrong. I have to take a parcel to the Bolshoi theater tonight. And then we must hide ourselves. What's so important about a parcel? You sound as if it were a matter of life or death. Life or death? Yes. Listen, Martha. Joseph Stalin will be in the state box at the ballet. And the colonel has provided the gun to kill him. Did you leave your mysterious parcel, Igor? Yes. Be quiet. We may be watched. Igor, I have something to tell you. While you were wrapping that parcel, I screwed up my courage to take the revolver from the dead hand of Colonel Koslow. I have removed the bullets. How could you? What made you do that? What made me do it? Don't be such a fool. You could kill him, yes. At this range, you couldn't miss it. But there must be a security officer in every row of this theater. You'd never leave here alive. And although I'd die for you, darling, and you already know I'd kill for you, I won't let you die for hatred when you must live for love. The Triumph Chicane is very fast and very luxurious, and we've kept it very quiet. But the motoring press hasn't. Car Magazine said of the Triumph Chicane, Our test crew found it a delightful car to drive, and it has magnificent balance between performance and easy driving. S.A. Motor said, The Triumph Chicane offers a standard of motoring way out of its price range. Triumph Chicane, built by Leyland. Listen to what the experts say about it. Announcing the complete detergent, New Darto. New Darto. It's all your whole family's wash needs for dazzling whiteness. And brilliant brightness. And stain removal. And easy rinsing. And all temperature action. New Darto. What more could a mother want for her family's wash? Now you've got what you want for your whole family's wash. New Darto is a pop's best friend. New Darto. The complete detergent. I did not kill Stalin, but my reasons were such as he could not know. After the war, he became a famous man, creating in Europe an espionage service operated by the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States. He could have got me out of Russia, but I would not leave without Marfa, and she would not leave her family. Today, it is my family too. And although the official records say nobody knows what became of us, there is information coming out of Russia from me and many others that will one day help to bring peace and freedom to the whole world. holiday driving gets hot and sticky, watch for the most heartwarming sight on South Africa's highways, a mobile restaurant oasis. Freshen up in a well-equipped restroom and enjoy a delicious snack or meal in a sparkling clean restaurant while mobile attendants top up your tank and clean your windows. Mobile restaurant road stops, now on most major South African routes.
High Adventure is produced by Anne Freed and directed by Henry Duffenthal. Kom tuin u vernuf by die spoorwee en volg die spoor van sukses. Spreek die afdelingsbestuurder of stasiemeester oor een loopbaan as stasievoorman, conducteur, stoker, laaimeester, baanmeester. Still time for more bright programs before midnight. In just a few seconds from now, you can hear the epic case book in which Inspector Carr investigates. Music of the Americas at 10 o'clock brings us not only a big 20-round cash prize, but especially tonight the music of Paul Simon. World of Hammond Innes at half past or quarter past ten, followed by World News 10.30. Then right through till midnight, it'll be Evergreen with Ricker and yours truly. Read Conflict with Shadows. A fast-paced story of invading darkness. The first in a series of light versus darkness, and the connection with the past to help fight for the future. When the Bathshe invade, John Vega and Nicolay Dan must come together to stop them from destroying their worlds. It will lead them far beyond known space only to find out that this is more than a battle for territory, but a battle for the souls of mankind. But there is always hope. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows at your favorite online bookstore. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. Guess who, Johnny? Lou. Lou Tang. When they told me you had called, my heart jumped and beat faster. It has been a long time. Too long. Hey, look, I want to see you, Lou. Where are you? They only gave me a phone number. It's a waterfront bar, foot of Drum Street, Sailor's Hangout. Then I'll call a taxi. No, I'll wait be... there. I've got a drunk on my hands. Well, get rid of him. Or of her. Can't do it, honey. This is a valuable drunk. You wait. I'll get there as soon as I can. And look, will you do me a favor, Lou? Anything you want, Johnny. Uh, well, there's a man named Benny Wong. I think he's been hiding out in Chinatown for the last two days. Can you find him for me? So that is why you're here. The sinking of the Marley K. That's right, Lou. Too bad, Johnny. I'm sorry to hear that. Awfully sorry. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location San Francisco, to the Home Office, Marine and Maritime Casualty Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Molly K matter. Expense account continued. Item five, $11 even. Drinks. Consumed by one Josiah Hawkins, able-bodied seaman. Last berth, ship's carpenter on the freighter Molly K. And Hawkins was scared. Scared half to death. So the fear worked against the liquor, and the drinks weren't doing much good. Who was you talking to on the phone? A friend. You say anything about me? About me being with you? Nope. How about another drink, Mr. Hawkins? I had enough. What's the name of your friend, Mr. Dollar? Oh, you wouldn't know her. Just a girl I know here in town. Oh, a girl. Mr. Hawkins, did Bill Mack have a girl... Yes, he got himself engaged to a girl. I know what you're aiming at, Mr. Dollar. You're trying to play on my sympathy. He was your friend. That he was. 
One of the best. And now he's dead. Drowned in the Pacific when the Molly Kay went down. Whoever sank her is responsible for his death. You can help me if you would. It wouldn't bring him back. I gotta think of myself. You're in more danger before you talk than you'd be afterwards. The whole idea is to keep you from talking. Huh? Sure, there's sense in that, all right. Somebody shot at you out there on the docks, tried to kill you. You'll never be safe as long as they're running loose. Well, Mr. Hawkins? The Molly Kay was sunk deliberate. We're sure of that. All of us that was aboard her, things just wasn't right even before it happened. What things? Well, that fire, for one, ten days ago, the first time we started out for Yokohama. Bill Mack was the one that discovered it. Did Mack think the fire had been set? That he did. He told the captain that. And you know what happened, Mr. Dollar? What happened? Captain Brawley knocked him down the bridge ladder. Told him to keep his mouth shut and not go around spreading wild rumors. All right. The second time you sailed, what happened? Well, as soon as we cleared the gate and headed out to sea, Bill and me was on watch. He had me cover for him while he sneaked down in the hold to see what he could find out. He still hadn't come back when it happened. I I think you was right, Mr. Dollar, what, what you said at the hearing. What do you mean? We didn't hit no derelict. An explosion, that's what it was. In the bottom of the forward hold somewheres. I was on the bow deck right above it when it happened. What about that Chinese steward? The one who got ashore and then disappeared? Did you notice anything special about him? Benny Wong? Yeah. No. We was only a couple of hours out of port. I don't even remember seeing him. One thing, though, that seemed kind of funny at the time. What was that? The first mate done all the hiring for this trip, same as always, just one exception. Benny Wong was hired on by Captain Brawley himself. Uh-huh. And something else, Mr. Dollar, about Bill Mack being drowned. He was wrong about that. Bill Mack is alive? No. No, he was dead before the Molly Kay ever sunk. What? I went looking for him as soon as it happened... And I found him down on the lower boat deck, lying in a pool of blood. Somebody'd cut his throat. I'll have another drink now. I sat there looking at him across the table, not saying anything. There was nothing I could say. Bill Mack had been his friend. I thought over what he just told me, tried to fit it in with what I already knew. It didn't add up to an answer yet. Not quite. But it was close. And it was getting closer all the time. Mr. Dollar, it's him. Huh? Captain Brawley over there. He just come in. Yeah, he's seen us too. He's coming over this way. I got to get out of here. Sit down, Mr. Hawkins. He won't start anything. You don't know him. You don't know how he is when he gets mad. No, but it looks like I'm going to find out. Well, Hawkins, seems like you're not very particular about the company you keep. Neither am I, Captain. Pull up a chair. What are you up to, Dollar? Offering him a bribe to testify against me? Don't need to. There's enough against you already. Yeah, there will be, more than likely, when you and them smart company lawyers get through. You insurance people are all alike. You're right there to collect when it's due you, but you squirm when it comes to paying off. Well, now, that depends on the circumstances, Captain, and in this case, well, I wouldn't go spending that money yet if I were you. That's what you've been telling them, huh? When I've got anything to tell, I'll tell it to the court. Yeah, along with anybody else you can turn against me. 
Like my own daughter, for instance. She even sneaked around and tried to turn her against me. Not that that took much doing. And Dean Sutton, owner of the cargo. But there's a limit to what a man will take, Dollar. And I took enough already. Now, you better quit pushing me. I'm warning you. I am. Well, take your warning and stick it where it'll do the most good. You've been trying to block every attempt I've made to get to the bottom of this thing. You've dragged your feet every step of the way deliberately. Dollar, nobody talks to me like that. Then it's time somebody did. I think you're in this thing right up to your big fat neck. And if you are, I'm going to pin it on you. Not just for swindling. If you were behind the sinking of the Molly K, I'm going to see to it that you stand trial for murder, too. I warned you once. Now, Mr. Dollar. Oh, no. oh, all right, Captain. Learn it the hard way. Watch out, he's grabbing a bottle. Come and get it, Dollar. Sorry, the party's over right now. You better get out of here, Hawkins. He's not going to feel very friendly when he comes to. You're the only man I ever seen stand up to him, Mr. Dollar. There was one other one, Bill Mack. I left Captain Brawley lying there on the floor. They were throwing water on him when I walked out. I hadn't wanted the fight, but there'd been no choice. And it had given me one new fact to fit in. The captain's coat fell open when he hit the floor. And I saw he was packing a gun. Expense account, item six, 80 cents. A taxi fare to Chinatown and a rendezvous with Lu Tang. Shanghai Lu. A strange woman, this one. Wise, shrewd, and alert. Hard and tough when she feels that way. Soft as a kitten when she feels that way. Her nationality, history, age, nothing certain about any of that. But there's one thing that is certain. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever known. It is good to see you, Johnny. How long has it been? Last year, Lou, in Paris. How could you forget? I didn't forget. I only wanted to see if you had. Kiss me, Johnny. Oh, oh. <clears throat> I uh, came here to talk business. Oh, business. I don't feel like talking business. Simmer down, baby. Let's get married. All right. First, when? let's uh, tomorrow. Now, if Why you'll... not tonight? It's too late. We'd have to wake somebody up. Always problems, reasons. I don't think you even want to marry me. Sure I do. I've been mad, too, for years. Then why didn't you in Paris? Lo, it's no time to go into that again. Look, I'm on a case, a rough one. And it's just possible that you may be mixed up in it. Johnny. I did not sink the Molly case, so there you are. That takes care of the business. Let's get married. Will you sit back down there? That does not take care of the business. What more do you want to know? Several things. Benny Wong, for instance. That man you asked me about? Yeah, they said he went down with the Molly K, but I found out different from one of the crew. I have not found Benny yet, but I have people looking, so why don't you and I... Lou, I've known you too long. You're not fooling me. Fooling you? The patter is good, but it's not covering the fact that you're bothered. You've always bothered me, Johnny. That's not it. How do you figure in this thing, Lou? I don't really know what you mean by this thing, Johnny. You had a pretty heavy stake in the Molly K. A $100,000 mortgage loaned to Captain Brawley. A sound business deal, that's all. I have investments in many ships that sail out of San Francisco. Ah, and of course the investment was covered by insurance. Naturally. I made sure of that before I advanced the loan. Don't let the soft brown eyes fool you, Johnny. I'm a hard-headed businesswoman. Yeah, I know. It was a business deal, nothing else. 
showed every chance of being a profitable voyage. He was carrying a cargo of wheat. The Tokyo grain market has been advancing steadily for three months. As to what happened, I don't know anything about it. I don't understand it. That's straight, Johnny. That's all I know. What about this fellow, Dean Sutton? Do you know him, Lou? I've met him. I understand he's engaged to Captain Brawley's daughter. But beyond the... Pardon me a moment. I'll see who it is. The visitor was a young Chinese lad. She stepped outside to talk to him, and I lit a cigarette and waited for her. I thought over what she'd said, tried to see behind it, and to decide whether to believe it or not. Lu Tang was not a person you could push. I stood up when she came back into the room. You're not leaving, Johnny. Yeah, I think I'd better. But you'll see me tomorrow? You know I will. What if I were mixed up in this? Would you send me to jail? You know the answer. Yes. And you're the only man I know who would. I'd be gentle about it, though. I think you really would. You're sweet, Johnny. Awfully sweet. I'm a doll. I've made up my mind to take no part in this, to stay completely out of it. But I'm going to tell you something. What do you mean? That man who just came to the door. I've had him out looking for Benny Wong. Has he found him? Not yet. But he's found out something about him. Johnny, if the Malike was sunk on purpose, how do you think it was done? By an explosion in the bottom of the fort hold. Hmm. Benny Wong was a demolition sergeant during World War II. He's rather well known as an expert on explosives. Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this story. Thanks. Tomorrow night, a double cross, a double play, and a lovely girl forces the jealous sea to give up its dead. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. And that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Smoke, starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Dillon. Hello, Ben. How are you? Had shipment come in from St. Louis? He came in on the morning train, Marshal. I was going to send the boy over to tell you. What, have you seen it yet? I haven't had a chance to open it up. Here it is. Oh, good. Well, let's see how it looks. Huh? All right. There it is. Prettiest gold watch chain I ever did see. <laughs> oh, Chester like that. Yeah. And look at the gleam on that elk stew. Yeah. Chester, know you're getting this for him? Oh, no, no. It's by way of a surprise. He thinks he's got a birthday this month, sometime. Saturday's about the middle of the month, so I figure it's as good a day as any. Hey, give it. Yeah, morning, Miss Tara. Oh, morning, Ben. Uh, Marshal Dillon. Morning, Tara. Oh, oh, how beautiful. Is it yours, Marshal? Oh, no, no, no. It's for Chester. He's always wanted one. Oh, it's lovely. Ben, mm-hmm. did my hand mirror arrive? Yeah, it came in this morning, Miss Tara. Uh, can I take it now? Well, I don't know why not. It's paid for. Here. Uh, Careful now, Miss Tara. Came all the way from Boston, so don't drop it. Well, I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ben. And goodbye. Uh, goodbye, Marshal Dillon. Goodbye, Terry. <laughs> That's a mighty pretty girl, Ben. Yes, sir. Uh, she's blossomed out since I saw her last. Well, what owe you, Ben? Oh, be just about four dollars, Marshal. Four dollars, huh? Yeah. There we are, four dollars. Thank you, Marshal. And uh, give Chester my regards. I'll do that, Ben. Well, morning, Miss Lane. Morning, Marshal. Morning. Morning, Marshal. Hello, John. Oh, hello, Marshal. Good morning, Chester. Well, morning, Mr. Dillon. Uh, put this in the safe for me, will you? Yes, sir. How was the auction yesterday? You know, Mr. Dillon, I never did see so many horses and mules. <laughs> you buy anything? No, sir, Mr. Dillon. But Asa Welton bought that old stud horse off Mr. McGovern. No, is that so? Yeah. You know... I feel sorry for poor old Asa. Why, that stud horse has got a ring bone so bad he can't hardly walk. <laughs> well, Asa isn't very smart when it comes to horses, I'm afraid. No, sir, he ain't. 
and I purely hate to see him lose good money on a horse like that. Why, he paid $19 for that horse. Oh? Well, he'll make out if the stud can get him some colts. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, I guess. That is, if he's got a mare. <laughs> yes, Chester, if he's got a mare. And if he don't, well, sir, I just don't know. My. Chester, this evening I'm going to have supper with Kitty over at Dodge House. Will you stay here? There's no work to do, but uh, you could keep an eye on things, huh? Well, I'd be proud, Mr. Dillon. More coffee, Kitty? Uh, no, thanks, Matt. Yeah. Uh. You, uh, mind if I smoke? Oh, <laughs> those are the longest cigars I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it bothers Matt, you, I'll have... six nights a week at the Texas Trail, and you think I'd mind one cigar? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Matt. What? There's something been troubling me. Oh, what's that? Well, I wanted to have supper here so we could talk. Well, what is it, Kitty? Almost four months ago, you and Chester brought a little girl back into town. Daddy was dead, out in the plains. You brought her back because she couldn't stay out there alone. Well, go on. She's real sweet. Young, I guess maybe 17. You're talking about Tara Hantry. Yeah, ma'am. I saw her over at the general store this morning. What about her? Well, she's hanging around the Texas Trail, Matt. I see her there all the time, afternoons, evenings. Oh? Well, why are you telling me this, Kitty? Well, it's no place for a girl. Not a young girl, not a girl like Tara. I don't have any say about how Kate runs the Texas Trail. If they don't want Tara in the place, Kate should keep her out. Well, Kate won't keep her out. Why should she? Tara's attractive. She's good for business. Kitty, when I brought Tara back to Dodge, Lawrence Kells and his wife took her in. They've been treating her like her own daughter. Now, it, it's not my place to interfere well, with Well, maybe them. they don't know, Matt. They're church-going people, Kitty, Kells and his wife. They try to do what's right for Tara. I'm sure they do. Matt, people like the Kells don't know the Texas Trail. They don't know the saddle bums, the spoilers, the wild ones that hang out there. Even if they did, they wouldn't see... Too much wrong with the man Tara's taken up with. Well, who is it? Jack Grace. Jack Grace? Yeah. Tara's keeping company with him? She has been since he came to town a few weeks back. That little fool. Well, don't blame her too much, Matt. He cuts quite a figure. Long hair, buckskin shirt, Texas spurs. She's young, and his stories make for good listening. Yeah. Matt, I've talked with Grace, and there's something wrong with him. He's too cold, like he's dead inside. He can charm you with a a smile, and he talks just fine, almost almost like a gentleman. But there's nothing inside him, Matt. He's empty, like a shell. All right. What do you want me to do, Kitty? Thank you, Matt. Talk to the Kells. All right. Tomorrow morning. I promise.
morning, Marshal Dillon. Good morning, Tara. Uh, we're having some lemonade. Uh, won't you join us? Uh, well, uh, I came looking for Mr. Kells. Uh, they're both down at the church, uh, getting ready for the social tomorrow night. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Marshal Dillon, have you met Mr. Grace? Mr. Grace? I know of you, Marshal Dillon. Down around Waco, several of the boys speak of you. No. Uh, uh, what did you want to see the Kells about, Marshal Dillon? Uh, maybe I could help you. I think I should talk to them, Tara. It's a matter of business. About Mr. Kells' business? The Buffalo Hides? Uh, no, no, no. It's another sort of thing. I, I better come back, Tara. They, they'll be home later. <laughs> well, you, you know how these church socials take planning. It, it may be late. Yeah, well, well, I'll come back then. Sorry you won't join us, Marshal. Thank you anyway, Mr. Grace. I'll walk you to the gate, Marshal. No, fine. I'll be seeing you again, Marshal Dillon. Maybe, Mr. Grace. I know why you came here today, Marshal. I know why you wanted to see the Kells. You do, Terry? It's about me and Jack Grace, isn't it? This isn't the time to talk about it, Terry. It's a fine time to talk about it. Now, look, Terry. The busybodies I... in this town sent you over here. They don't like my keeping company with Jack. Isn't that right? They're not busybodies, Tara. They're people who are fond of you, older than you, and know more about Jack Grace than you do. Blue-nosed old gossip. Now, Tara, listen to no, me. No, you I... listen to me. For as long back as I can remember, Pa and me worked that dried-up old homestead. Alone after Ma died. To kill Pa. Came near to killing me. Look, when I brought you into Dodge, the Kells took you in. They treated you like their own daughter. Mr. Kells is a wealthy man. He's given you everything he can. And I'm grateful to him. He's tried hard to do all the things Pa would have done if the planes hadn't killed him. But he still can't give me the love and excitement and fun Jack Grace can. Oh, Tara, so help me. If you were two years younger, I'd put you across my knee and slap some sense into you. Now, if you hurt the Kells because of Jack Grace, or if you get yourself in trouble, I'm going to forget I about this. I know better. I'd say it was a lover's spat. I'll be back later, Tara. There isn't much point in that, Marshal Dillon. From what I could hear on the porch, Miss Tara seems to have said what she thinks real plain. I'll be back later, Tara. Will you tell him? I don't know why you bother, Marshal. If the Kells are ones to worry about loose reputations, they might not pay too much attention to you. What are you getting at? The U.S. Marshal who... Sniffs around one of the girls at the Texas Trail isn't in the best of company, and after all, everyone knows the kitty is. Now get up. And if I ever hear you've mentioned kitty again, I'll come after you. Why don't you do that? I will. Good day, Tara. Oh, Jack. I... I'll call back for you later this afternoon. I'm sorry, Tara. I didn't mean for this to happen. You're just a big, blundering, stupid bully. Tara, please. And, and if you mess up the one thing that means happiness for me, I'll help him kill you. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, 
Mystery-minded? Then mind you don't miss CBS Radio's Mr. Chameleon on the first of his new Friday night broadcasts tonight on most of these same CBS radio stations. Now, the second act of Gunsmoke. Told me you wanted to see me, Mr. Dillon. Uh, yes, Mr. Kells. Uh, won't you sit down, please? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hope it won't take too long. Gretchen and I are in charge of the box store tonight, you know. <laughs> we won't be too late. Well, it may take a few minutes, Mr. Kells. It's, uh, it's important. Oh? It's about Tara. And Jack Grace. You know about it, then? I've known about it ever since she came to town three weeks ago. They met, heaven knows where or how, and she's been seeing him most every day since. You know where she spends her time? At the Texas Trail. Yes, I know. Gretchen and I have tried every way we know, Marshal Dillon. We've both talked with Tara, but she's young and headstrong. I don't know what to do. I think she'd run away with him if we interfered again. Mr. Kells is Marshal. This is no affair of mine. But as someone who's fond of Tara and... Well, I... I, I, I wish you'd try talking with her again. Well, we'll do everything we can. I promise you that. Perhaps you... Well, perhaps Grace will get tired of her and leave Dodge. Uh, perhaps. Well, anyhow, you know I'll sure try. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for coming over here, Mr. Kelly. Sure, Marshal. You're going to be at the social tonight, aren't you? Oh, sure, sure. Chester and I'll be there. Chester would be real upset to miss it. Good. We'll see you there. Okay, fine. Dylan, uh, this is Miss Honeycutt. How do? Uh, proud to know you, ma'am. I-, I bought her supper box. Did you bid on any supper boxes, Mr. Dillon? Uh, no, Chester. I was late getting here. Oh, so. that's pity. Now, what do you do for supper? Oh, I'll make out all right. Well, there's really enough for the three of us, Marshal, if you'd care to join us. Well, thank you, Miss Honeycutt, but uh, I'm looking for Mr. and Miss Kells. Oh, they're not here yet. The parson was asking for them a few minutes ago. Mr. Kells was to have auctioned off the suppers, but they didn't come, so we went ahead without them. Oh? You sure you won't join us, Marshal? Uh, no, thank you, ma'am. I'll just wait for the Kells. Perhaps I'll walk back toward their place and meet them on the way. Well, all right, Mr. Dillon. Uh, Miss Honeycutt and I'll be right over there if you need me. I don't think I will, Chester. You just go ahead and enjoy yourself. Real pleased to meet you. Nice to have met you. Yes, mind that bench, Miss oh, Honeycutt. Yes, thank Oh, hello, Kitty. You leaving the party before I get there? Uh, no, no. I was just walking back toward the Kells place. They're not at the social yet, and this might be a good chance to talk to them. Oh, all right, if I come with you. Well, sure. I had a talk with Mr. Kells this afternoon. Yeah? Yeah. He knows all about Tara and Grace. Has known for a long time. Well, what's he going to do about it, man? He doesn't know what to do. Neither do I, Kitty. Look, Kitty, you're a woman. You you know about these things. 
You don't tell a woman she shouldn't love some man, do you? No. No, you don't. Kells has tried hard. He's done everything he can. Well, he's a wealthy man. He could send her east for a few months on a visit. St. Louis, maybe. To forget Grace? Yeah. Would it do any good? No. Oh, there's the house. It's dark. Maybe we passed him. No, I don't think so. Here. Thanks. Thanks. Kitty? Yeah? Uh, maybe you better wait here, huh? Matt, what is it? The house shouldn't be dark. We didn't pass them. What are you going to do? I'm going inside. I'll come with you. All right, come on. The door's open. Oh, Matt. Matt, look. Stay here, Kitty. Shot, both of them. Oh. No wonder they were late for the auction. Kitty, go back to the church social. Find Chester. Have him meet me at the jail. Tell Doc to come over here. What are you going to do, Matt? I don't know. Look around, maybe. Why this? What for? Who knows why people kill, Kitty? Money, maybe. I don't know. But who'd do it, Matt? Who'd kill the Kells? Someone who hated them enough or thought they had something he wanted. Bad. Real bad. Grace. Will you please get Chester and Doc? Yeah. Yeah. Tara? Tara, are you all right? It's Matt Dillon, Tara. Are you hurt bad? Who did it, Tara? Do you know? Yes. Yes, I know. Well, who was it? Was it Grace? Oh, Matt. Matt. What happened, Tara? Tara. Mr. Kells was waiting for him when, when Jack came for me. Mr. Kells wanted to talk with Jack, he said, and... and oh. Well, go on. I don't know. I don't know. I can't help if you don't tell me what happened. But when Jack came, there was an argument. Mr. Kells told Jack to go away, leave me alone. Told him not to come back. Jack laughed. Called Mr. Kells a name, and Miss Kells slapped him. And Jack hit her. Mr. Kells tried to get his rifle in the corner. And Jack. Jack? Yeah? He shot him. He shot both of them. 
Then he turned and said it wouldn't have worked out for us. He was leaving. Just like that. He was leaving. You see, you'd be nothing but trouble, he said. I'm leaving, he said. Then he hit me. And... Doc will be here in a few minutes, Tara. He'll take care of you. You want me to go with you, Mr. Dillon? No, you stay here. Get me that Winchester, will you? Yes, sir. Here you are. Thank you. How do you figure to trail him at night, Mr. Dillon? I don't. I'm taking a guess, that's all. You know where he's going? Like I say, it's a guess. I won't be back to Texas. He's wanted there. Might be Abilene. Ben Thompson would cover for him there. He'll have an hour or more start on him, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know, but I figure to take the back country and ride hard. Maybe I'll cut his sign by morning. You'll be riding three miles to his one? I'll check the buckskin. He can last. Yes, sir. Don't you want me to follow you? I should be back by tomorrow night. You stay here and help Kitty and Doc with everything. And take good care of the girl. She needs help. Yes, sir. Good luck, Mr. Dillon. can't see me. Don't bother to try. Just drop your gun belt. Easy. And your rifle. Throw it down. Now keep your hands high, just like they are. You travel fast, Dylan. I didn't waste time getting to here. I know this country better than you, Grace. Roads aren't always straight. Even so, that buckskin of yours must be quite a piece of horse. He is. We'll be starting back right quick, but meanwhile, you just sit tall right where you are. Arms will get tired. Taking me back to jail and dodge. Well, what do you expect? You murdered two people just last night, tried a third. I just hit Tara down. I don't know as I tried to kill her. You must have known I'd come after you. I figured maybe you'd start tracking me toward Texas. <laughs> I didn't give you credit to think of my head in Grabling. 
<laughs> I guess the joke's on me. Yeah, I guess it is. You know, I don't understand what goes on inside you, Grace. There's no point in my getting riled. You got me cold, Deck. Someone told me earlier you were just a shell, that you were empty inside. But by heaven, you are. You're crazy, Grace. Just mean, pure crazy. It's you doing that talking, Marshal. Please yourself. In a way, it's all Tara's fault, I suppose. Well, it wouldn't have worked out anyway, like I told her. All right, if I light up. Marshal? All right, but watch your moves. Uh, my makings are in my blue. Don't break <laughs> Didn't know Kansas marshals were so fast. A derringer up the sleeves, an old story, Grace. Yeah, but they sure are. Uh, guess I won't go to trial after all. Huh? Huh? No, maybe not. But you're going back to Dodge. Like they say on the posters. Dead. Uh, Oh, uh, uh. yeah. Dead or alive. Marshal Dillon, I want to thank you and Miss Kitty for everything you've done for me since... Sure. Uh, you got everything in the stage, Tara? Yes, Miss Kitty. It's a long trip, Tara. You, uh, you sure you won't change your mind? I think I'll like it back east, and St. Louis won't be as big as all this. Marshal Dillon will be late into Hay City if I don't get away now. Okay, driver. Well, uh, goodbye, Tara. Good luck. Goodbye. Well, Matt, she's gone. Yeah. I don't blame her for wanting to leave, Kitty. The West took nearly everything she loved. Her ma and pa and the Kells. And her true love? Look, Jack Grace? Jack Grace is no good, but Tara gave him a heart. And she never got it all back. Perhaps you're right, Kitty, but Tara's young. She'll mend. Will she, Matt? I hope so, Kitty. I truly do.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Special music for tonight's story was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill as Tara and John Daner as Jack Grace, with Ralph Moody, Joe Duval, and Vivi Janis, Harley Bear as Chester, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Novelist C.S. Forrester saw in the turbulent Napoleonic Wars an ideal historical background for the exploits of a seagoing hero of his own creation, Horatio Hornblower. And now every Friday night on most of these same CBS radio stations, Michael Redgrave stars as Horatio Hornblower. Clancy Cassell speaking, and remember, Tarzan brings you his adventures Saturday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and near his assignment by Grace S. Gross. Wheat checks, rice checks, and good hot Ralston presents Space Patrol! High adventure and the wild vast reaches of space, missions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol! In today's transcribed adventure, two criminals are holding Tonga in the subcellar of a Venus skyscraper. As Buzz and Happy advance toward the men, they pass a large ventilating tunnel covered with a metal screen. One of the men throws a switch, and behind the screen, the blades of a giant fan start to whirl... They've turned the ventilator fan on. Rush them, Happy. Yes, sir. I can't stay on my feet. Keep away from the grating. I, I, I can't move. The air suction pulled me against the grating. It's got me, too. Try to pull loose, Happy. The wind's too strong. Commander, the grating is sliding up. Pull, Happy. Pull hard. If you don't get out of this tunnel, we'll be pulled into the fan. We'll be back in just a moment with today's Space Patrol story, The Top Secret D-Ray.
Boy, oh boy, gang, here's something I'll bet you just never dreamed you could own. I mean a pair of those amazing new Space Patrol space binoculars, a pair just like the commander uses himself. Now, you know how he can look way off in the distance with his space binoculars? Well, kids, you can do the same with yours. You can read signs blocks and blocks away, watch far-off traffic, study birds in high trees, and do lots and lots of other things with your space binoculars all year long. Now, these are not flimsy goggles or a mask. These are great big plastic space binoculars that stand out from your eyes a full three and a half inches. Why, you don't even have to use your hands when you're looking through space binoculars. They have a strong elastic band that holds them snugly to your eyes. It's swell for playing space patrol because then your hands are free to drive your rocket ship or to hold your cosmic smoke gun. Now remember, these are real fixed-focus four-power binoculars with four pure lucite lenses. Real binoculars, five inches long, five inches wide. The greatest offer we've ever made on Space Patrol. But, gang, the offer soon ends, so don't miss out. Send for your space binoculars today. Just buy a box of Instant Ralston. Then, with your name and address, send 25 cents in coin and an Instant Ralston box top to Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. If you don't agree that your binoculars are tops, send them back and we'll return your money. That's Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. Commander Corey and Cadet Happy have just blasted off from Terra and have set their vector for the lunar fleet base on the Earth's moon. One of the busiest spaceports in the solar system, the fleet base is also the center of scientific research into the development of space flight. For the past week, it's been open house at the base, with guided tours for throngs of visitors from Earth and many of the other planets. Tonga has been assigned to special duty at the base to see that security regulations are observed. Buzz and Happy plan to spend two days at this moon spaceport and then bring Tonga back to Terra. Mind if I tell you something, sir? What, Happy? Well, I didn't say anything one way or the other, but... Well, I'm certainly glad I wasn't assigned to duty at the fleet base this week. Somehow I get the impression that you don't exactly care for the idea of herding tourists around. Oh, it might have been fun for a couple of days, but gee, a whole week. Why, I'd rather fly through the meteor belt in a birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Just the same, Visitor's Week at the Lunar Base has been fine for public relations. You'd be surprised at the number of people who are on the moon this week who've never made a space flight before. Tonga, Lunar Fleet Base, calling Commander Corey aboard Terra 5. Tonga, calling Commander Corey aboard Terra 5. Corey here. Go ahead, Tonga. Commander, I have an emergency message. I'm cutting to scramble circuit, code 5. All right, Tonga. I'll adjust the receiver. Code 5 circuit cut in. Go ahead. There has been a security leak on the D-ray project here at the base. The D-ray project? Yes, Commander. A strip of microfilm containing the basic designs has been taken from the files. Do you have any idea when the theft occurred? Within the last three days. Order the base commander to declare condition red and ground all spaceships. The thief may still be on the base. Condition red is already in effect, Commander. Colonel Jacobson issued the order 20 minutes ago. Good. That film must not be smuggled off the base. Tonga, cut on your tape recorder and take this message. Feed it through the public address system at the spaceport every 10 minutes. Ready, Commander. Now, here's the message. Attention, everyone, base personnel and visitors. No film of any kind is to be taken from the base until checked by security officers. Film that is cleared will be sealed and returned to passengers after they're permitted to board their ships. 
Film not surrendered to security officers will be automatically blanked out by cancel ray machines as passengers and luggage pass through the gates. To preserve your personal films, follow these regulations. End of message. I have it recorded, Commander. It will be put on the base PA system immediately. We don't want to keep innocent people on the base longer than necessary, so run the films through inspection as rapidly as full security methods permit. Yes, Commander. Happy and I will arrive at Lunar Fleet Base in approximately three hours. We'll contact you upon arrival. Corey, out. Commander, what is this D-ray project? The D-ray is a new defense ray. It can make any unfriendly spaceship completely powerless, even at great distances. It neutralizes all electrical fields. Yeah, it would cut off all controls so you couldn't maneuver the ship or fire weapons. You couldn't even use the spacerphone or view scope. And those are the plans that have been stolen? Yes, and that means that somebody could build a D-ray to use against space patrol ships if they got away. That's why we have to get that microfilm back. Smoking rockets. I want to spacerphone Major Robertson and have him transmit the pictures and records of everyone suspected of espionage to the Lunar Fleet Base. Take over the controls, Happy. Yes, sir. And keep it on vector. Yes, sir. film has been cleared, sir. It will be returned to you aboard your ship as soon as transportation is available. Next. Your name, please? Bob Morgan. You have some film to declare? Yes, ma'am. It's in this can. It's a home movie of my family and some friends. Only a couple of shots of the fleet base. The guide said it was okay to take them. I'll have to run them off, Mr. Morgan. If you'll step into the projection room with me. Sure. You'll probably find I'm pretty dull. I'm not much good at taking pictures. Now, this is about the last of the shots I made on Venus. That's my wife and our youngest daughter, Susie. Oh, what a cute little girl. Thank you. Oh? Uh, is this what you filmed here in the base? Yeah. Oh. Yes, that's rocket shoot number one. I'd have got a ship blasting off, but they didn't have the camera aim right. Well, that's the end of the reel. I guess you're glad that's over. Unless you know the people involved, home movies are pretty dull, usually. Well, I'm sure you and your family will enjoy these when you get back to, uh... uh Mars, isn't it, Mr. Morgan? Yeah. Films are all right, then? Oh, perfectly. I'll give you a clearance check, and they'll be returned to you aboard the Mars Express. Now, thanks, miss. Hope you find what you're looking for. Ladies and gentlemen, please... We're checking your films as rapidly as we can. Just wait your turn and, and be patient, please. Now, who's next? Is the crowd giving you much trouble, Tonga? Oh, Commander. Oh, I haven't had any trouble, but the people have had their holiday and they're impatient to get home. The thief or thieves must have planned to take the microfilms when we had thousands of visitors on our hands. Can we go somewhere where we can talk? Well, we can use the room next to the projection room. Fine, let's go. Happy will be with us in a few minutes. I have him waiting for some pictures and data Robbie's sending us by viewscope facsimile. In here, Commander. Any trace of microfilm, Tonga? No. The only microfilm any of the security officers have found is of a regular business record nature. Any indication of blow-ups of microfilm to regular amateur size? None. Wow, what a mob. I thought I'd never get through. Cadet, how much longer do I have to wait? Cadet, why is the Space Patrol interested in pictures of my daughter's wedding? Oh. <laughs> That's understandable, Happy. Got the pictures? Oh, yes, sir, quite a batch of them. And uh, background data as well. Look through these, Tonga. See if you can recognize any of these people as having been here at the fleet base. All right, Commander. <sighs> Anything on the D-ray films, Commander? Mm, not yet, Happy. Commander, 
This man looks familiar. I think I've seen him here. Which one? Uh, this one. He had some amateur movies of his family. I reel he'd taken on Venus. Uh, Morgan is his name. Bob Morgan. Very interesting. According to the record, Morgan was picked up on Mars last week. He was suspected of violating security regulations there, released for lack of evidence. Well, there was nothing wrong with his films. Just his wife and daughter Susie and, well, a couple of harmless shots of the base. Yes, but look at this. Morgan was also questioned on Venus with a certain Art Robertson, also released for lack of evidence. Say, Morgan doesn't have any children. In fact, he isn't married. What? Now, why would a man lie about a perfectly harmless amateur film? Tonga, have you got someone who can take over your duties here? Captain Thornson has been working with me. He will assume your duties. You're to blast off for Venus City and try to get a line on Morgan's friend, Art Robertson. Happy and I'll head for Mars to check on Mr. Morgan. As soon as you have any information, relay it to me through Space Patrol Unit Headquarters. And... Can't you speed up that projector, Morgan? I'm tired of looking at these phony home movies. You're tired of them. I've seen this film a dozen times while I was editing and doctoring it at the fleet base. And I had to look at it again at security. Okay, I'll speed it up. Well, the place where I dubbed in the documents is coming up shortly. You must have done a good job of the assistant security chief, Passett. It's lucky I took all that trouble out. Even though we thought we could get off the fleet base before anyone discovered the D-ray plans were gone, it didn't work out that way. Now, what happened? Well, some eager beaver engineer started his shift three hours early. Now, we're getting close. Watch this, I. There. I've stopped the film on the frame of the little girl. You don't see anything unusual? No. Needed security. Watch now. I'll switch to the microfilm lens on the projector. All I see is a plain white space with a blue border. Now, that's a blow-up of one of the white checks on the girl's skirt. Blue border is made by the adjoining blue squares. You mean one tiny square fills the whole screen? I still don't see anything. You will. When I cut off the regular lamp and turn on the infrared... Jump on Jupiter, the D-ray plans. Right. That's page one. Next 20 frames, there are other pages concealed in squares of the girl's skirt. Great job, Morgan. Terrific. Yeah. Really went nuts. First, I had to project the original microfilm, photograph it in infrared on another microfilm. Then came the tough part. I had to superimpose the plans on a regular-sized film inside one of those tiny squares. You did a great job, Art, and take the D-ray strip to Venus. Now, will we collect? But it'll take me a couple of days to establish contact with the man who pays off, naturally. Four minutes out of Lowell City, sir. Take over for the landing, Happy. Tonga, Venus City, Space Patrol Headquarters, calling Commander Corey aboard Terra 5. Tonga, calling Commander Corey. Corey here, go ahead. I've been checking an Art Robertson, Commander. Got the word earlier than I thought I would. Well, let's have it left here for Lowell City about five days ago. Then there's a good chance it came to Mars to meet Morgan. One of our agents at Lowell City has found Morgan's location. Well, stay in Venus City, Tonga. Find out who Robertson's friends are. See if you can run down any definite contacts or connections between Robertson and Morgan. Yes, Commander. Happy and I'll handle things at the Lowell City end. Hurry out. Robert Morgan? Oh, why, yes. I'm Commander Corey of the Space Patrol. This is Cadet Happy. We'd like to talk to you. Uh, sure. Come in, gentlemen. 
After you, sir. Mr. Morgan, you brought back some film from the Lunar Fleet Base, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I have the clearance certificate from your security officer. Like to see it? We'd like to see the film. We want to examine it again. Oh, sure. I have it right here on the table. Thank you. Here, Hap, take care of this. Yes, sir. Anything wrong, Commander? I mean, with the film? I hope not. Oh, by the way, is your wife home? My wa- oh, she's uh, visiting her sister in Jupiter City. I see. And your daughter Sally is with her, I suppose. Yeah, and Sally's with her. Mr. Morgan, unless I'm mistaken, when our security officer was running the film at the base, you told her your daughter's name was Susie. What? We uh, call her Sally as a sort of a nickname. In our files, Mr. Morgan, you're listed as being single. Well, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, actually, that film belongs to a friend of mine. I thought I could get it through inspection quicker if I acted as though it were mine. I realize now it was foolish and unnecessary. We'll give the reel a very thorough examination at the security lab. You'll hear from us then. Fine, Commander. Say, that's a pretty fancy projector. I was just noticing that, Happy. An expensive professional model, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh... Hobby of mine. It's got a lot of extra gadgets on it, too. And they seem to be similar to those in the security lab. Mm-hmm. A parrot with several different lenses, including one for microfilm and with an infrared attachment. Hey, we could run it off right here. Say, Morgan. Get him, Robertson. It's a space patrol. Hey, look out, Commander. <coughs> Commander. You warned him too late, Cadet. He got here just in time. Get the film. What do we do with Corey and the Cadet? We've got to get him out of here. We'll have to take him to Venus with us. Maybe on the way we'll finish him off without leaving a clue. We'll be back with Space Patrol in just a moment. But in the meantime, here's a quick three-act play. Act one begins with a boy and his mother in a house in a kitchen in the morning. Fill her up, Mom. Rice checks. Now there's a boy who knows what he's talking about. He wants a bowl of delicious rice checks for breakfast. Rice checks, the shredded rice super cereal, spun in that modern bite-sized design. Act two, next morning, same house, same boy. And in the kitchen, he's lifting up that bowl again. Fill her up, Mom. Wheat checks. Yep, today he wants wheat checks. Power packed wheat checks. Swell tasting shredded wheat biscuits in that same modern bite-sized design. Third act, third day, same kitchen, same boy. Fill her up, Mom. Instant Ralston. Yes, sir. Today he wants to warm up his motor, so for him it's Instant Ralston, the cereal with flavor galore. Good hot Ralston. And so ends our play. And gang, here's the moral: for a super breakfast. Eat a super cereal. Rice checks. Wheat checks. Good hot Ralston. Bob Morgan has stolen a set of microfilm plans for the secret D-ray from the Lunar Fleet Base by superimposing them on an innocent appearing film of regular size. Buzz and Happy, suspicious of Morgan because of discrepancies in his story, found the film containing the defense secret. But before they could examine it, Morgan's accomplice, Art Robertson, arrived, and the two men overpowered the space patrolman in a fight in a darkened room. Right now, with Buzz and Happy locked in a compartment, Morgan and Robertson are in a spaceship approaching Venus. 
We aren't going to land in Venus City with Corey and the cadet aboard, are we? No. Now we'll set the ship down at my place on the Turquoise River and get rid of them then. Get the ozone cylinder, hook it up. We'll turn it on just after we land and leave Corey's compartment unlocked. I'll land the ship. Commander, they've landed. I wonder where we are. Listen. They're out in the corridor by the door. Watch your chance. If they open it, we'll jump them. Yes, sir. Leave them in there, Morgan. We'll attend to them when we come back. Okay. Sounds like they're leaving the ship for something. Do you hear a click just then? I don't think so, sir. I think one of them was about to open the door when the other one called him away. Try the handle. Right, sir. It's unlocked. Open the door a little. Listen. Hear anything? I thought I heard the hatch close. Let's get out of here. Happy. Look out the viewport. There they are. Yeah. Heading for that little building. It looks at the landscape, we must be on Venus. And if I'm not mistaken, there's the Turquoise River. It sure looks like it. I wonder what they're up to. We've got our weapons, or we could rush them. Yeah, well, maybe we could take them by surprise when they come back. There's D-ray plans at stake. I don't want to risk failure. We'll blast off in their ship and space a phone to Venus City for help. It's a great idea, sir. They can't get very far away, even if they do try to escape. We can watch them from the air. Come on, let's get to the cockpit. Well, this, this is really a break. We needed one. I have an idea that Morgan and Robertson were ready to see that we didn't get out of this. All secured for blast off, sir. And let's go. <laughs> there they go. Yeah, just the way you planned it. How long will it take for that ozone to take effect? Ah, just a couple of minutes. After a few lungfuls of that contaminated oxygen, they get sick and dizzy. Before they can land, they'll black out. <laughs> and there'll be a terrible tragedy on the Space Patrol records. <laughs> Where's your submarine? Uh, it's hidden under the wharf on the river. Come on, let's get down to it. We'll maintain this altitude, Happy, and keep circling over them. I can see them in the viewscope, sir. They're heading for the river. Do you see any boat they could escape in? I, uh... uh... What's the matter, Happy? Oh, nothing, sir. My eyes blurred for a minute, that's all. Uh, no. No, there's no boat near the wharf. I'll put that space phone call through now. Commander Corey aboard private cruiser VP-784 calling Space Patrol Venus City. Commander Corey aboard private cruiser V... What was that number, huh? It's on the panel, sir. Oh, smoking rockets I can hardly see. Commander Corey calling Space Patrol Venus City... Commander, the controls. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I feel sick. Something's wrong with the air in this ship. Happy, quickly. See if you can find a couple of spacesuits. Yes, sir. Hurry. This suit's hard to get on. I feel so weak. I'll help you, Happy. There. Now close the face piece. Let's, let's hope the oxygen supply works. Is your suit receiver working, Happy? Yes, sir. I read you. Take several deep breaths. My head's clearing already. So is mine. I check the view scope. Do you see Morgan and Robertson? No, sir. Last I saw of them, they were headed for the wharf. 
And you suppose they're swimming across the river? Well, keep watching, Happy. I'll check the air analyzer and see what's wrong. Of course, they might have gone back to the building while we were putting on our suits. Boy, I sure thought I was going out there for a while. No wonder. The ship's air indicator's in the red. A few more breaths and we'd have been finished. Hey, there is a boat down there. It's coming out from under the wharf. It's a odd-looking craft. Hey, now it's gone. It, it sank. Submerged is more accurate. A miniature sub. Right. Afraid we fell into a trap. They wanted us to blast off in this ship. Have me check the air system see what they rigged up. I'll notify Venus River Patrol to take soundings up and down the river for that sub. Who are we now? Right where we want to be. Pier 7, Venus City Dock Area. Eight fathoms deep. Safe to surface here? Sure. We come up under Pier 7. There's a ladder that leads up through a trap door into a tool shed. A few minutes from now, we'll be in the streets of Venus City, ready to sell the D-ray plans. Yeah, no one able to trace us. I'll cut the motors now. We're going to the surface. We hit Venus City at just the right time. The streets are deserted. Yeah. Uh, turn left at this corner. We'll walk over to the business section and hail a surface taxi. <gasps> no. Sorry, lady. Why don't you look where you're going? Oh, I beg your pardon, but you came around the corner. Yeah, yeah, I, I pulled. We're sorry. Wait. Wait, you're Bob Morgan. We're in a hurry. Wait. You're under arrest, both of you. We're bumping into you. Don't be stupid. She's from the fleet base, a security officer. That's right. You have to come with me to headquarters. That's what you think. Let go of me. Put your hand over her mouth so she can't yell. No, okay. Hold still, you. We can't ever spread the news we're in town. Uh, drag her into the alley. Leave her there? No, no. The new building my company is moving to is a block from here. There won't be anybody there this time of night. I'll guard her while you go get a surface car. Surface car? Yeah, so we can haul her to the river. Come on, I'll help you carry Where am I now? Told you before, you're in the basement of the Marcab Building, 4th Avenue and Venus Boulevard, Venus City. Ah, here's Morgan. Hey, what took you so long? I had trouble renting a car, but I got one. Come on, let's get her out of here. Okay, Tonga, here we go. All right, Morgan, Robertson. It's Corey and the cadet. Let go of Tonga and get your hands up. Quick, Morgan, down this corridor toward the ventilator intake. Take the girl. Corey won't dare shoot. Let go. Come on. They're getting away, Commander. After them, Happy. Robertson, this is a dead end. Go to the firewall. We'll make a stand there. Come on, you. Commander! You haven't got a chance. That girl here, we can bargain with Corey. All right, press back into this corner, under the switchbox. You might as well give up, you two. Come and get us. Come on, Happy. You're crazy. Left our ray guns in the sub. Corey will have to pass in front of that big grating. When he does, I'll throw the switch. Well, that... There's an eight-foot ventilator fan back there. It'll create a vacuum strong enough to pull him right up against the grating. Commander! Happy, don't come any closer. Shut up, shut up. Morgan, pull the switch. Rush him, Happy. Yes, sir. Turn that off. Commander! Commander, I can't... I can't move. Come on and get us, Corey. suction. Now, Corey, I'm going to release the grating. Happy, if you can slump down, maybe you can crawl away from the vent. Commander... The grating is sliding up. We'll be pulled back into the fan. I can still move my arm. I can throw my gun and hit that switch and short it out. Aim straight, Commander. Here goes. Hey, you did it, sir. A bullseye. Quickly, Happy, rush them. They hit the switch. Morgan, pick up that ray gun. No, right, you don't. Robertson. Get away from it, Morgan. All right, Robertson. No more. No more. I've had enough. How about you, Morgan? Uh, sorry, Commander, but Mr. Morgan is out. Are you all right, Tonkin? Yes, Commander. I guess you heard my miniature spacephone. Yes, and Robertson's ship. Good thing you had it on. It was lucky Morgan had trouble locating a surface climb. All right, Robertson, where's that film strip? It's 
Right here. In my pocket. Hand it over. Happy to see if he can revive our fleet-based tourist, Morgan. Oh, he's not a tourist any longer. Where he's going, he'll be a permanent resident. <laughs> we'll be back with an action preview of next week's exciting Space Patrol story in just a moment. Hey, gang, have you sent for your Space Patrol space binoculars yet? Well, you better hurry, because this offer is soon going to end. Now, remember, space binoculars are real binoculars. Big, powerful binoculars you can see way off in the distance with. And when I say they're big, when I say they're powerful, I mean it. Space binoculars are five inches long, five inches wide. They're four power binoculars, and that means they make people, cars, buildings, everything else in the distance look four times closer. Now, they're not old-fashioned binoculars that you have to hold in your hand. They're sleek, new, modern plastic binoculars with an elastic band that holds them snugly to your eyes. Just think of the fun. You can spot planes in the sky, watch birds and squirrels in the trees, identify cars blocks away, read signs way off in the distance, and do lots and lots of other things with them day and night all year long. Absolutely the greatest value we've ever offered. But don't forget, this offer soon ends. So hurry, send for your official Space Patrol space binoculars today. Just buy a box of Instant Ralston. Then, with your name and address... Send 25 cents in coin and an instant Ralston box top to Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. This offer good only in the USA and may be withdrawn at any time. That's Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. And now, an exciting preview of next week's exciting Space Patrol story. Buzz and Happy have conceived an extremely daring and dangerous plan to surprise two criminals who are holding Carol captive in the Martian hills. Right now, they're nearing the hideout in a small atmosphere ship. We're getting close, sir. Fasten your safety belt, Happy. Here's where we would develop power failure intentionally. I'm all set, sir. Hang on. I'm about to make the worst landing of my career. The ground's coming up awfully fast. you got to make this look like a disastrous crash. Okay, but it's beginning to look too realistic. Brace yourself. It's beginning to look like the real thing to me, too. We're losing control. Be sure to be with us next Saturday for the exciting story, Crash Landing, when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again present Space Patrol! Space Patrol, an original Mike Moser production starring Ed Kemmerer as Commander Corey and Lynn Osborne as Cadet Happy, was written by Lou Houston and directed by Larry Robertson. Other players were Norman Jolly, Ken Mayer, Nina Berra, and Stephen Robertson. Dick Tufel speaking. Now, don't forget to tune in next Saturday and every Saturday when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again present the new exciting Space Patrol! Be sure to see another exciting Space Patrol story on your local ABC television station. Consult your local paper for time and channel. Space Patrol comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network.
Starting on March 4, get ready to listen to the C.S. Lewis series, The Chronicles of Narnia in a seven-episode special. Now back to the old-time radio show. Goblin the bastard taking prisoner when he when he mm. raised his staff there was a oof there was a blinding flash and the goblin fell dead. Ah, good. But what happened to Gandalf? I don't know. He just he just vanished. <coughs> vanished? Where to? I don't know. Oof. I don't know. Oh, Gandalf. <coughs> Gandalf, where are you? Oof. Oh, where are you? <coughs> Goblins hurried Bilbo and the dwarves along with shouts and insults and cracks of the whip. Down and down they went into the heart of the mountain, where it was stifling hot and stuffy. And the goblins were very rough and pinched unmercifully. And Bilbo was even more unhappy than when the troll had picked him up by his toes. Oh, oh I wish I'd never left my hobbit hole. It was a deep, deep dark, such as only goblins can see through. Here, the passages in the depths of the mountain were crossed and tangled in all directions, but the goblins did not hesitate or stop for one second. Now there came a glimmer of red light, which became stronger and stronger, until at last the dwarves stumbled into a vast cavern with torches round the walls and a great red fire in the middle. The cavern seemed to be filled with hundreds of hideous creatures. While in the shadows, on a raised flat stone, surrounded by ferocious-looking guards armed with axes and bent swords, sat a tremendous goblin with a huge bloated head. Oh, are these miserable persons? You are so great, goblin! Ah. And this! Oh. Oh. We found them sheltering in our front porch, almighty oh, one! Our front porch? <laughs> what do you mean by it? Well, I, I was only oh, going to... Who are I... you? Murderers and friends of elves, not unlikely. Yes. Come, what have you got to say? Not that it will do you much good. <laughs> I know too much about you and your folk already. But let's have the truth. Or I will prepare something particularly uncomfortable for you. <laughs> I, I am Colin Oakenshield, the dwarf at your service. We were on a journey uh, uh, to visit the, uh, the descendants of our grandfathers who live on the east side of these truly hospitable mountains. He is a liar! Oh, truly tremendous one! Several of our people were struck by lightning in the cave when we invited these uh, creatures to come below. Uh, and they are as dead as stone. Uh, uh, 
Yet also, he has not explained his sword. Sword? Yeah. Let me see. Oh, Christ! Oh, Christ! The goblin cleaver, the biter. This accursed sword has slain hundreds of my people. You murderers and elf friends. Slash them, beat them, bite them, kill them! I uh, and the torches, they seem to explode in all directions. Sparks, all the sparks are burning up the goblins. Yes, hear those. I can see a sword gleaming in the dark. Yes, yes, I can see it. It's floating in the air. There's nobody holding it. It's making for the great goblin. It's cutting clean in two. Follow me quick. Follow the sword. It's Gandalf. He's invisible. Follow the sword. Well, are we all here? I light my staff so that we can see. Nar en edrai etamen. Now, Tarin. By your side, Gandalf. Good. That's one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yes. Well, well, where are Kiri and Vidi? Here we are. Oh, that makes thirteen. Oh, and Mr. Baggins, fourteen. Yes. Mr. Gandalf, where were well, you? It might be worse, and then again, oh. it might be a good deal better. No ponies, we shan't see them again, and no food. No food? No, no, quite where we are, and hordes of angry goblins just behind us. At least I've rescued our Chris, Gandalf. See our glows, just like your sword glamouring. That is a warning, Turin. Oh. The brighter those swords glow, the nearer the enemy. Come, on we go. And on they went. They began to hear goblin noises and horrible cries far behind. And it soon became clear that the goblins were quickly gaining on them. Oh, Mr. Gandalf! Mr. Gandalf! Oh, Turin! Uh, what is it? I can't run as fast as you. Oh, well, then we'll just have to carry you up. Bombo. Oh, no. You take him first. Oh, come on, Mr. Baggins. Up you get. Oh, my. Oh, 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 oh. Why did I never leave my hobbit hole? Now, quickly, all of you. The goblins are on us. Come on, come on. You and I will draw our swords. Your Chris and Glamdring will keep them at bay while the rest of you try and get away. And well named were those two magic swords by the ancient high elves of the West who wrought them. They hewed and hacked at the goblins until the evil creatures were driven off. And it was some time before they dared turn that corner again, by which time the adventurers had gone on, a long way on into the dark tunnels of the goblins' realm. As soon as the goblins realized where their prey had gone, they put out their torches, slipped on soft shoes, and chose their very quickest runners with the sharpest eyes and ears. These ran forward as swift as weasels in the dark, and with hardly any more noise than bats. Yes, and that's why none of us, not even Gandalf, saw or heard them coming. But we must have been seen by the goblins coming up behind, 
Well, Gandalf was letting his wand give out a faint light to help us as we went along. Quite suddenly, Barlin, now at the back, carrying Bilbo, was grabbed from behind. <coughs> as Barlin fell, the hobbit rolled off his shoulders into the blackness, bumped his head on hard rock, and remembered nothing more. When Bilbo opened his eyes, he wondered if he had. What? But it was just as dark as with them shut. Oh, yes. Yes, and just imagine my fright. I could hear nothing, I could see nothing, and I could feel nothing except for the stone of the floor. Very slowly, I got up and groped about on all fours till I touched the wall of the tunnel. My head was swimming. There was no sign of Gandalf or the dwarves, and I was far from certain even which way we'd been travelling. Still, I guessed as well as I could, and I crawled along for a good way, until suddenly my hand met on the floor of the tunnel what felt like a little tiny ring of cold metal. It was a turning point in the Hobbit's career. Not that he knew it at the time. He put the ring in his pocket almost without thinking. Certainly it did not seem of any particular use at that moment. He did not go much further, but sat on the cold floor and pondered. I thought of myself at home, frying eggs and bacon in the kitchen. But that only made me miserable, for I could feel inside that it was high time for some meal or other. How could I have been left behind? How did the goblins miss me? I must have been lying unconscious out of their way. What if the goblins came back? But then Bilbo remembered the sword he had taken from the troll's lair. Ah, it glows. So this is an elvish blade too. Its light's only pale, so the goblins are not very near. Yes, and yet not far enough away. Still, gives me a little light to see by. Now, what shall I do? Go back? No, no, that's no good at all. Go sideways? Oh, <coughs> no, impossible. Um, go forwards, the only thing to do. <laughs> On we go. So, with his sword held in front of him and with one hand feeling the wall, he groped along, fearful but determined as only a hobbit can be when his mind is made up. The tunnel seemed to have no end. On and on he went, and down and down, not daring to stop. On, on, until he was tireder than tired. It seemed like all the way to tomorrow and over it to the days beyond. Suddenly... Oh! 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 oh water! Oh, and icy cold! This must be a pool or a lake. Or is it an underground river? Well, now what do I do? It may not be very deep, and I might be able to wade over to the other side, whenever that is. But if it is deep, I can't swim. Oh, dear. Shh, shh. us and splash us, my precious. Shh. At least a tasty morsel, and it make us go. Who are you? What is he, my precious? Me? I... Well, I am... Mr. Bilbo Baggins, B-A-W-G-I-N-S. I've lost the, the dwarves and I've lost the wizard and I don't know where I am and I don't want to know. If only I can get out of here. Shh, shh. Perhaps he sits here and chats 
with it a bit, see, my precious. It likes riddles, perhaps it does, does it? This strange creature wanted to appear friendly, at any rate for the moment, until he found out more about the Hobbit. His name was Galoon, although he always called himself Precious. He was small and slimy and as dark as darkness, except for two big, round, pale eyes in his thin face. He lived on fish, and goblin too, when he could get it. He could see that Bilbo was no goblin, but Galoom was always very hungry. When he said he wanted to play riddles, Bilbo was anxious to agree until he found out whether this odd creature was fierce or friendly, or whether he was in league with the goblin. Riddles? <laughs> well, <coughs> very well then. You ask first. Goodness. What has roots as nobody sees? is taller than trees. Up, up it goes, oh, and yet never grows. Oh, yes, well, that's very easy. <coughs> A mountain. <laughs> Does it guess easy? <laughs> it must have a competition with us, my precious. A, com a competition? <laughs> Um, yes, well, all right, uh, provided that you show me the way out of this place afterwards. If Precious asks and it doesn't answer, we eats it, my Precious. Oh, it eats me? If we don't answer, then we does what it wants, huh? We shows it the way out, yes. Well, uh, yeah, I... I, I uh, <clears throat> well, there doesn't seem to be very much else for it. No, sir, eat me. Oh, dear. Yeah, very well. Now, uh... Uh, yes, now let me see. Mm. Uh, try, try this one. A uh, box without hinges, key or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. Very easy, very easy old chestnut, you know. Box without hinges, is yes. hid, golden treasure. Mm -hmm. Gold. Gold. Mm. Now, come on. Come along, let's have your answer. Now, precious turn, precious turn. Yes. This thing all things devours birds, beasts, trees, flowers, mm. gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Ooh. Oh dear, oh dear. It's a hard one. Oh, uh, uh, perhaps uh, um, a magician. No. Oh no, dear. It definitely wants to eat me. I must think. I must think. Oh, if only I had more time. Time. If I... It's guessed it. Oh, oh time, yes. <laughs> No more riddles is. No more. No, no, all right, certainly. I'm I'm rather tired of that game, too. Uh, but now, do you think you could show me the way? It's hmm? got to ask us a question, my precious. Oh, but I just asked you. Yes, yes. Just one more question. Well, I, I, I just can't think of anything. Think of a thing. Oh, uh, something. Think of something, something. Um, what have I got in my pocket? Um, not fair, oh. my precious. Well, not fair to ask us what it's got in its nasty little pocketses. Well, 
Oh. <coughs> well, uh, all, all right. Um, yes, what have I got in my pocket then? It must give us three guesses, my precious. Yeah, well, all right, go on then. Guess away. Uh, mm. uh, what's it got in its pocket? Hanses. Wrong. <laughs> Guess again. Not Hanses. <laughs> what can nasty Bagginses have in its pockets? No, 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 wrong, wrong. <laughs> Last guess. Come along. Come along, time's up. String no. or nothing. Ah, 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 now, that's not fair. You work two guesses in at once. Anyway, they're both wrong. Well? Well? Well, what about your promise, then? Hmm? I want to go, and you must show me the way. It must wait. We can't go up tunnels, they're so hasty. We must go and get some things first. Things? Yes, things to help us. Yes, well, all right. Well, hurry up, then. We must get our birthday present. <laughs> Let it wait there till we get our birthday present, precious. Goodness, it's gone. I don't think he means to come back. All that talk of things to get and a birthday present. Just excuses to get away. But Bilbo was wrong. Gollum did mean to come back. He was angry now and hungry. And he was a miserable and wicked creature. And he had a plan. He paddled out to his island, where in a hiding place he kept a few wretched oddments. And one very beautiful thing. Very beautiful. Very wonderful. A golden ring, a precious ring. How he had come by that ring ages ago in the old days, when such rings were still at large in the world, perhaps even the master who ruled them could not have said. You see, and I want to get unlost. <laughs> yes, and I, and I won the game, you know, and you promised. So come along. You come along and let me out, and then you can go on with your looking. <laughs> no. no. Not yet. Such <laughs> yes, but, lost. Yeah, but you never answered my last question. And you, and you did promise, you know. But it's lost! <laughs> He's coming back. He does sound very, very upset. What oh, has it got in its pockets? Yes. What have I got, I wonder? Oh, it was just that ring. Oh, it feels very cold on my finger. Oh, his eyes. Oh, it's huge. 
Shining like green fire. He means to murder me. He's going to kill me. It mustn't run away. Terrified, Bilbo tried to run faster as he heard Gollum's hiss close behind him, but suddenly he struck his toes on a snag in the floor and fell flat with his sword under him. He's gone past. Well, how could he have missed me? Well, he has, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, but what now? No good going back to the lake. He's bound to return there sometime. I suppose I'd just better follow him. Perhaps he'll lead me to some way of escape. It's gone. Oh, 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 yes, it's my precious. He's found it. My birthday present. How do we lose it, my precious? It must have been when we came this way last, when we twisted that tasty young goblin. Yes, that's it. Curse it. It slipped from us after all these ages and ages. It's gone. The ring. That's what he must have lost. But why does he want it so badly? The Baggins has got it in his pocket, says. The nasty nose has found it, we says. But he doesn't know what the present can do, does it? No, but it's Trixie. Yes, supposing the horrid goblins is catch it. Goblins. If they get it, they will get the present. Our precious present. They'll find it and they'll find out what it does. One of the goblins will put it on and then no one will see him. Not even our clever ice will see him. And he'll come creepsy and tricksy and catch us. Go, go. So it's a magic ring. <laughs> well, it's made me invisible. That's why he rushed straight past me when I fell. Then let's stop talking, precious, and make haste. Might find a way to the back door. Yes, that's it. The back door. Make haste. The back door. Well, maybe I can get out there. If this ring really, really does make me invisible, it, it should be easy. I suppose I'd better follow this smelly creature. I'd much rather be going away from it. The further they went, the slower Galoom walked. He began to get shaky and weepy. Goblins might be about, and he had lost the ring. At last, he stopped by a low opening in the left-hand side of the passage. Yes, yes. Yes, here's the passage. But we doesn't go on, precious, no. Goblins is down there. Lots of goblins is. Wait here, precious. Wait a bit and see. 
He's sitting right in front of the opening. Oh, I can see his great shining eyes. How can I get past him? Shh! Oh. Shh! We hears it. We smells it. Oh. Here's it, my precious. The nasty Beckins is here and wants to get out, but we won't let it, my precious. We'll catch it and we'll squeeze it. Oh. And we'll get our birthday present back. Oh. Oh. Oh, my. I must get out. I must get out of this horrible darkness while I've got any strength left. I'll, I'll kill it. I'll kill it with my elf blade. I'll... Oh. But a sudden understanding... A pity mixed with horror welled up in Bilbo's heart. A glimpse of endless days without light or hope. Hard stone, cold fish sneaking and whispering. He trembled. And then quite suddenly, as if lifted by a new strength and resolve, he leapt. Straight over Galoom's head he jumped. Seven feet forward and three feet in the air. Too late, Galoom sensed what was happening. He threw himself backwards and grabbed. But his hands snapped on thin air, and Bilbo, falling fair on his sturdy feet, sped off down the new tunnel. Thief! Thief! We hate it. We hate it forever. It's taken our present. Come back, Parkinses! Come back! Cross it and crush it! Shh! Shh! We hate it! As fast as his legs would carry him, Bilbo turned a corner and came suddenly into an open space where he saw, with a wave of relief that left him almost dizzy, a ray of bright sunshine streaming through a great stone doorway. Oh! Oh! Blinking in the dazzle, Bilbo failed at first to see the guards, goblins in full armor and with drawn swords. An enemy! They can see me. Whether it was an accident or a last trick before he took a new master, the ring was not on his finger. The ring. The ring. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, here it is. My shadow in the sunlight. Stop it! Put your swords Now you can double your listening pleasure by subscribing to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. For only 99 cents a month, you gain access to more shows for your enjoyment. Subscribe now, and happy listening. You have been listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast.